I'm Les Anderson. I've been grounded for about 30 years. It's all because of my driver's test. You failed. And her. I thought that we had a date tonight. And him. What could possibly go wrong? And that night. License to drive. I think I'm going to throw up. Rated PG-13. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to the show. It's the Cinemasters of the Universe podcast. I'm one of your hosts, the host to the left, the Rental King. And if I was a teenager talking about other teenagers and what car they probably lost their virginity in, it would most definitely be an ice cream truck. And sitting with me, as usual, is my co-host to the north, the one who knows things and keeps me in check, Mr. Adam Peterson. Bossa Nova. Chevy Nova? Yes. The Chevy No-Go. <laughs> to our friends to the south of the border. Oh, my God. I don't want to get feuding with, like, the Ford and Chevy car people, honestly. That is not what I want. I like cars that are made in Vietnam. Vietnam? Yes. What cars are made in Vietnam? I bet you, I'm sure there are some. There, you have to Can be. Can you... You have to be some vehicles made in from It's got to be at least one I'm made right? there. I, I, I'm sure they're quality... Fine quality automobiles. They are. Because they're and not even Vietnamese. Yeah, exactly. And everything about the Vietnamese is awesome. We appreciate all of our Vietnamese listeners. Welcome back. What I need to do someday is actually go to Vietnam and just walk around and wait for somebody to be like, It's him. It's him. <laughs> like I knew like it. A, a Beatles situation. Just yes. see if you get mobbed by like eight by guys who come running over like, you we listen guys. to you. <laughs> Like delicatessen owners, yes, <laughs> asking me questions about uh, about Vinny, Jerry. I, <laughs> is, is IHOP really as great in the states as they say? Did they turn Adam Sandler away? Is that true? Is it so great? Oh man, um, we're going to be talking about a movie today that honestly just it's it's a joyous movie for me. Um, from the eighties, from nineteen eighty eight, License to Drive. About it's a movie about, um, I guess it's basically a movie about a young man and his friends, the teenagers. They're they're you know driver's license age. One of them, you know, when you you and your group of friends, there's always that first one that has the pressure of getting the driver's license. Like they just turned 16 first, and you have the weight of the world of your group, your friend group, to get that driver's license because, you know. It equals freedom. You're not relying on your parents or friends for rides anymore. Like it, it's something that never ever will change. Like it's just something worldwide that anyone can relate to. And this this movie just always reminds me of that time. And when this movie was released, I was just a year or two probably away from. Well, let's see. Uh, I, I was still probably three or four years away from. And you were just a baby. 
I was five. <laughs> you were just a little little tight. I was precocious but though, so I probably could have. You were. I probably could have driven yes. something. You, yeah. I mean, you know, you, it could have been a power wheel. It wouldn't you know, have been legal, but I could have moved a vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just a few years, so like I was very interested, uh, you know, looking at you know looking up to these teenagers and you know and actors who i really admired a lot these are like actors they were had been starring in movies uh for a long time and especially uh cory feldman like cory feldman is just one, one of those guys from the 80s that just from early like from 81 82 to like 90 i mean he was just in everything feldman is like my preferred one cory. Of, mine, mine too like and i like him a lot i think he's good um i and we'll we'll talk about Haim, I'm sure, later on down when we get to the cast and everything. But uh, the the two of these guys together really are just they have tremendous chemistry. Like it's real, it's really good chemistry. And uh, I the the three of these teenagers going, you know, it's it's a very brisk movie. It's only let's see, 88 minutes. The movie's over so fast. Like it, there, it, it's just like a two part episode. Of like you know like some show you know like it's, if it's, Law and Order had a two part episode and you eliminated getting the a driver's license yeah <laughs> if you eliminated <laughs> yes. the commercials and watched both episodes right. back to back it would be roughly eighty eight minutes that's that's exactly true and I really appreciate I mean sometimes you'll watch a movie that is in that you know eighty eight to ninety five minutes and sometimes you just can't believe how long it feels even though yeah. it's only eighty eight minutes this is over so fast and I've I can't even tell you. I couldn't count the number of times I've watched this movie. It's it's just been so many times. It's really when I when I think back, you know, like a lot of times we'll do that exercise of like what's your favorite, you know, like what's your top ten favorite movies all time. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite guilty pleasures? Like this doesn't fit into any of those really. Uh, I like it a lot, but it's not a guilty pleasure, and it's not like top ten all time. But it's it's for sure. I'll say of this time period of this era late 80s it's in the top 10 like i've watched it so many times and it just holds <laughs> up like really well today even today like i mean you got you got to watch a movie like this understanding there's no such things as, as iphones and things like the things that they get into don't apply in in situations like what's happening in this movie but it the youth of it the the excitement of getting a driver's license the all of that applies. It still applies. Like you're, you're stuck on a bike, you know, you're riding a bike until you get your car. And more than anything else, um, in June, I really liked the idea of doing a theme of movies for, uh, for dads, you know, like father's day is this month. And, you know, we're a podcast, like we're a couple of guys who really enjoy our rad dads. Yes. And like, let, let's, let's pick a couple movies. We're not, we're not going to get around to four like sometimes we do, but we'll do at least a couple. Yes. And like, let's, let's pick a couple of movies to talk about that feature dads that we really appreciate. And this movie is just not one that comes up in any list. You know, like if you do, like if you Google a list, like if you're thinking like, I want to do a list of something and you'll do the Google thing to get some ideas and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's one that everybody's going to put. You're not going to find license to drive. I don't think I'm pretty confident that, you know, Mr. Anderson's not going to show up in any of those lists, but he is like such an awesome dad in this movie, like such an understanding dad, such a typical dad. You know, they're, they're, he's not overly bumbling and stupid. Um, he's not like crazy strict. He just seems like a regular dude. And, you know, Richard Masser is 
of, of just, he, he's superb in this movie. I just love him in this movie. Well, he's Adam. He's he's great because like a different point, especially I mean early on in the movie, and I won't jump too far ahead, but like you get you get that uh, as that's that's one of those things about being a parent, and I think especially about being a dad. I mean, I've never been a mom, but you know, being a dad, like there are times. You know, because as dad, sometimes you got to lay down the law. Sometimes, yeah, you got to be tough. You got to be yeah. firm, you, you, but understanding. Yeah, you you got to make sure that everybody knows. You know, you know, you got to you got to put on that dad voice. Sometimes you got to on the dad face and just kind of you know put the fear of God in everybody. Just just because you got to grow that dad mustache. Yeah, you got you got to be that dad. But there are there. Got to wear those dad glasses. <laughs> the other end of that spectrum is because you know, there's a part about being dad. That I think at the same time, like, you're almost like, you know, because I, I know it's kind of anecdotally, you know, women or moms will complain sometimes. Like, I feel like I just have, you know, another kid in the house because of you. But there's a that part, you know, you have those moments where as a dad, you you kind of can revert a little bit to being a kid. And especially in this movie, there there's a couple of those moments that, that Richard Mazur I really love because it's like, it's almost like he can... He, he can clearly relate to the plight of yes. Les. And he kind of like pushes pause on being a dad for a moment. And it's kind of like a buddy. And it's like, okay, I get yeah. it here. He's trying to walk that line that we all yeah. like to think we can walk. And you practice it and you, you think about it, it. You lay in bed at night and think about like, what, what would I do in this scenario as a father with my kid? Cause you know, we both have preteen kids. Yeah. Uh, your, your kids are a, no, well, no, uh, no, no, we're, we're really similar in age. So actually we're, it's not like one of us is approaching it faster than the other. Yeah. Um, I think Logan, Logan's uh, is Logan 11. Logan's 10. So like he's 10. the oldest, I guess of our, yeah, he's 10. Yeah. He's so 10. he's, he'll be 11. He'll, he'll be 11 in December. Caden will be uh, nine in August. Yeah. So they're, I mean, pretty yeah. close. They're pretty close. And, uh, and then, you know, I, Allison is six now. Yeah. And Tucker's and, uh, seven. Tucker seven. Right. So like really, really close. We, so we still have a good number of like little kid years yeah. left, but it won't be long. It definitely won't be long before we're having to deal with these types of scenarios. And I, you like to think, but you, you can't help it like lose your cool. Like I lose my cool, especially with Allison, the younger one, you know, just cause she's the more headstrong. Yeah. Logan will just kind of go with the flow like that. He's the peacekeeper of the, of the two. He just wants to keep the peace and he'll do whatever it takes to do that. Allison, on the other hand, is like the strong-willed, like, I'm going to get what I want, and I'm not going to relent. He's <laughs> just going to be that one. Uh, so I'm not looking forward to that. But, you know, at the same time, I am. I want to see I want to see how well I stack up against some of these classic TV and movie dads that I grew up with. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think about, like, you know, and I, in this episode, I'm going to break it down just a little bit differently than we're used to. Um, I'm going to... Yeah, we're going to talk about some scenes, and we'll talk about characters and parts of the movie. We can do all that. But I want to focus on the dad scenes. I want to focus on, like, the four or five really good scenes that he and Les are in and how he interacts with Les and his wife, who I think I, I really enjoy uh, Carol Kane in this role a lot. Uh, yeah. He, as, as, the, uh, as her, uh, his wife, she's... Very um, atypical to movie moms that you'd see, in especially in this area in the eighties. Like she, 
she definitely doesn't fit along those that template of like moms who just are there to to make sure the dad the dumbass dad's not doing what he shouldn't be doing you know yeah the strong one for everybody like Richard Masser is he's trying to be strong, but he's following the lead of Carol Kane. Like you can tell that the Carol Kane character is is a very strong personality in the in the household. So I, I think I believe the two of them as a married couple like really well. Oh, totally. Uh, but, but you know, but yeah. So let's just do some housekeeping. Uh, I'm just like I said, I'm really giddy. I don't know if you can tell. I'm just <laughs> giddy talking about this movie. I really enjoy it. I I didn't know. I always knew sometime we would get to this movie in the podcast, but uh, with with the Rad Dads and me being able to fit that theme in with, oh, with that totally. character, I'm just very excited, and it's a natural fit. The um, Corys had to so, make an appearance at some point. For sure, for sure. Okay, so uh, released July 6th of 1988. Um, this movie costed $8 million, which is pretty... Pretty expensive for a movie of its type in 1988. Yeah, uh, but it did gross twenty, nearly thirty million or twenty three million dollars, which is really good. That's not too shabby. That's a bona fide return, like excellent oh, return totally. on yeah. investment. I, you know, you we always figure you know your production budget is eight million, so you're. I mean, back in the '80s, even late '80s, I don't know if your advertising budget is still kind of double. Not that. as like not like oh. it is now. Yeah, I wouldn't think it would be different because there's. Not, I mean, you don't have the same kind of promotion. So you're, you're talking a much larger profit margin there. And it's also impressive that this, I was just like, what I like to do here lately is to kind of take a peek at what movies, uh, like a movie of this age was competing against to, to, to try and make sense of like, well, if it is a beloved movie, why did it make so little money? But this one did well. It was up against movies like Coming to America, which was a hit. Oh yeah. Um, it was it was up against movies like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh wow. Was still big at the time. Uh, big was was in theaters bouncing yep. around still. Uh, the Great Outdoors. I mean, there there were a lot of movies released around this time, uh, and it and it held its own. Which is I don't remember it being like such a sensation in the box office. I I definitely remember it being like a video. Like it was a killer VHS to track down. Like it was really hard to rent. Uh, I remember like constantly trying to find it. But it, it's impressive that if it, it you know made its, uh, and and a lot of that probably has to do with the the success of the Lost Boys and the Corys before this movie came out. Yeah. Like that you know they were riding the heat of that definitely in into this movie. So you know word of mouth and the buzz for them were were just astronomical. Uh, Metacritic, it has a 36, which is pretty much to be expected. Uh, it's so it's very formulaic and by the books, you know, it, it's, it has strong nostalgia appeal, obviously for me. Uh, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not a movie that's going to like wet the drawers of critics <laughs> necessarily. Uh, user score is 6.2, which is pretty decent. Tomato meter 17, which is pretty awful. Uh, but you know what I like to do? I like to drudge up that guy. What did Roger who, Ebert have to say about this one? <laughs> Roger Ebert. Okay, so he's a wild card. You never know. The Tomato Meter 17, Metacritic 36, but he loved Big Babe Pig in the City. Oh, he loved uh, he that loved pig. Him some, <laughs> he loved him some vice versa. Uh, Tommy Boy, Billy Madison, you know, like those movies, one star. You know, he's more whatever. of a Beavis and Butthead kind of guy. <laughs> Here's what Roger Ebert had to say about this movie. License to Drive is a more than passable summer entertainment. 
especially when it identifies with the yearnings of its young heroes to get behind the wheel. Two and a half stars. So, you know, pretty pretty good. I mean, he's better, he's giving it a pass. Better than a lot of other standard comedies. Yeah, he's he's definitely giving this movie a pass. Yeah. Uh, I, I could, you know, like just kind of glancing through his review because you can go to his website and read like the whole reviews if you want. Um, you know, he's he's not... It's not like, you know, great. Like, he doesn't love the movie, but he understands it's. he's not the audience, but yeah. it's well-made enough for the audience, and he's giving it that pass. So I, I feel like this is where, this is an, a, probably an appropriate rating for a critic for this type of movie. You, you, can't, you can't nitpick a two-and-a-half-star review for this two, movie. Yeah, two-and-a-half-stars for this movie is probably, yeah, that's, I mean, pretty fair. Yeah, that's pretty fair. You know, like, and I'm biased towards this movie. I'd, I'd give it a total four stars. <laughs> but two, two and a half, I can't hate on that. Like, it, two and a half stars, you could open up the paper, and if you're trying to convince the parents, trying to get the parents into the old car, like, drive you down to the theater, like, look, two and a half stars, Roger Debris, you know, it's okay. You could take me to see this movie, and you might be able to get them off the couch for two and a half stars. Oh, yeah. So that that's appreciated as a young kid trying to see a movie like this in theaters. Uh, so the flick was directed by Greg Beeman, uh, who doesn't honestly have a ton of movie credits that would well, like light your you know light things on fire. Like his, his I think his IMDb like four stuff is 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 a lot of uh, maybe TV. I'm not sure. Yeah, he's he done a lot of this. TV he, stuff. He's done a whole bunch of TV. Uh, I think he's more known for TV now. But he did direct uh, Mom and Dad Save the World, yeah. which which made 92, which is a very memorable movie from my youth as well. Um, kind of fits in a it, similar motif. Yeah, it's it's for teens. It's, you know, it starred Jeffrey Jones and Terry Garr, and it had John Lovitz, and it was, you know, it, it very well could have been like one of those SNL-type flicks. Like, it just, it's it's silly. It's just a silly movie. He also did Bushwhack. Bushwhacked, yeah, I was about to say that. And that's not terrible. It's Again, it's like a teen, you know, targeted movie starring Daniel Stern. He did that in 95. Uh, but, yeah, then I just wrote down, you know, he did a ton of TV. Like, he, he directed a lot of shows of Heroes and Falling Skies. Uh, he's very active today. He's he's directed shows of Star, like Stargirl, Lucifer, and I put Melrose Place. Like, that's really out of order. <laughs> like, why would I start... Why would I start with Euros and then do recent stuff and then put Melrose Place to close it? Like, that's the big closer. Boom. That's, that's his big Melrose claim to Place. fame. Yeah, you know it. Uh, written by Neil Tolkien, who has uh, credits for the Macaulay Culkin version of Richie Rich, and Polly Shore's Jury Duty. Yes. <laughs> Which I'm not gonna shit on. I love Polly Shore. Uh, I want to do a Polly Shore month sometime. Yes, the, that was that was towards the tail end of the Polly yes. Shore wave. That was it. Was that might have been like the last one that really got the theatrical treatment. Did that one but come just out barely. after Biodome or <laughs> it was okay? It was by, it was after Biodome. Okay, so then this they might have been released to like the same year, almost within the same calendar year. That yeah. That might that one did not like that one was barely in theaters I think <laughs> yeah so jury duty was kind of that that tail end of yeah uh, oh yeah jury duty was ninety five biodome was ninety six had to double check. oh okay so, okay I'm sorry I was wrong there uh, you with that you know they were filmed at the same time 
Yes, probably, probably. But yeah, it was because if if jury duty came out but first, Biodome's not getting greenlit. <laughs> but yeah, you got like you got that Encino Man, son-in-law, yeah, in the army oh, now. The string, the string of Polly Shore movies in the early nineties are ninety-two. Just the, great. Those four years, ninety-two to ninety-six, Polly yes. Shore reigned. Yes, he and he was he was a presence on MTV, which at that time I was still a big fan of and watching daily. Uh, you know, he was, he was, he had records that like the, what was that one song that like Lisa, Lisa, I adore you. Oh, that yeah. song. <laughs> oh my God. He was just such was a, just, he was such a weird force, but such a welcomed force. He, he was, it was, it was, it was, it was the kind of entertainment that your parents wouldn't like, but it always felt like it was really, if you, if you stepped back and if you could just kind of get past the weasel personification, yeah. it was more or less family friendly, his, his material, I think. I mean, he did, you know, he talked about squeezing the nugs and things like that, which is not cool without consent. But I think Polly always had consent, don't you? Oh, yeah. And son-in-law is kind of, I think, almost like that biographical where it's like you you have kind of that nuclear family that exists the way that they do kind of in this, yeah. you know, this frozen homeostasis of... You know, older sister, younger brother, mom, dad, yes, middle America yes. kind of values, and then you introduce. Paul oh, that's Shore. a great movie, man! And uh, you know, it's one of those like there's a resistance to it at first, but once you finally you let Polly in, you're like, this wasn't so bad. This actually, yeah, makes it's like an better. analogy to his career if you yeah. think about it exactly. It like really, he comes is. off. He's got he he's he's the Polly Shore on on college comes home and your your parents are like I can't I can't watch this guy's movies I can't stand this guy seeing my daughter but then you grow you you warm up to him cuz you see he's harmless mostly and he he's a good dude you take a little so of what, your what, style since we're since style. we're turning this into a Polly Shore podcast I'm going to go ahead and say what, what let's say what, what's your favorite Polly Shore movie what would you say uh i think i think it's still going to go in Sino man yeah, same. I love Encino Man. And I think it's the team up with uh, uh, Brian Austin. I like the two of them together oh, yeah. a lot. And and, uh, and really kind of one of the... And, Br- and Brandon Fraser. The, was yeah, really I think like the first time, I, if I go back, I think it's probably the first time I was ever exposed to Brandon Fraser. And yeah, I think so too, yeah, same. And it was and he, he was, was a the fresh weasel. face at the time. It's the weasel. He was very much the weasel. He was wearing all of the get-ups from MTV in that movie. Oh. And... Uh, yeah, it's a fun time. We'll have to talk about that movie. Yeah, we'll have like to do give some it the treatment coverage. Oh yeah, absolutely. And a runner-up for me, and I hope this isn't you know if you we I I can't remember if you've revealed to me what Brad Dead movie you're doing or not. Yes, you did. You did. You, we can talk about that at the end of the show. Uh, Goofy movie was a close runner-up. That me. was a like, great I almost movie. picked a Goofy movie. Oh, I love that movie. So good. Such a great dad movie. Oh, totally. And Polly was in that. Okay, so, uh, but but the uh, as far as Neil uh, Tolkien, he he uh, more recently he's a writer for the uh, Magnum PI reboot show, which I've never seen. I haven't either. But I hear there's a Ferrari in it, and you know, and that's, a that's mustache. Is it a mustache? I don't know. There better be. I a hope mustache. there's a mustache. It seems like you, there has to be a mustache. Like Tom Selleck would never. Is there a Higgins? Like there better be a Higgins. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if there's a Higgins. I'm going to have to look. There better be a, a TJ, right? There's a guy who flies a... There ha, There better be a black helicopter pilot. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> there better be, damn it, or I'm going to raise hell on this show that I've never thought to watch until just now talking about it. <laughs> Even though I've never watched... 
Okay. Yes. No, I never. I have no investment in it whatsoever. Like I know every mom and every mom in the eight who you know was of age in that time. Like Tom Selleck was the dude. And if you're my age, like everybody's mom was just like Magnum PI. Like that was this. That was it. That's what they watched. Uh, let's let's talk about this cast. Let's break it down. Let's do it. Um. Uh. There's well. Okay. So, I I really want to get into this a little bit like we the Corys right obviously Corey Haim and Corey Feldman they're a team they're, they're just like a pair you can't talk with about one without the other uh there there's there's some sad stuff like that we could get into with this and I don't know how much we want to get into it I don't want to bring people down with you know just the tragedy of of Corey Haim and really also you know if you want to look at it Corey Feldman's career too who's handled things way better and Corey Haim, he's still with us. He's still he's out not there. Dead. He's producing. He's still, not dead. He's something. still doing stuff. He does a lot. Corey Feldman does a lot. But, you know, he clearly has his demons. He's just doing, he's exercising his demons in a more healthy, sometimes way more embarrassing manner. But he's 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 not taking the Jonathan Brandis route. He, and he's not taking the Corey Haim route. He's a guy um, who, I, I wish would have had that kind of went away for a while but then people got the nostalgia for him so he had like Rob Lowe yeah. I wish he could be like a Rob yeah, Lowe that's exactly. the guy that I think of who was who was very in demand as a young person had a lot of heat had a scandal and then went away for a long time yeah but then he made some really good choices got things together and now he's he's just had this amazing career you know from beginning to like you know he's he's still going yeah, Feld, Corey Feldman, Feldman just, has just not he 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 can't seem to keep tripping over himself. He, yeah, he couldn't. He like he because that's the thing is like if you fade away for a while and there you know that demand kind of comes back around and you you it's kind of like that. It's almost like a trapeze act. It's like if you're there at the right moment and you can catch it, you can really swing on it. But like for him, oh yeah, he I mean like because that was a thing for Rob Lowe when he showed back up. Clean cut, you know, I mean, he still looked, I mean, he looked great. I mean, he's, you know. Yeah, he still had the handsome, yeah. he didn't lose any of the handsome at all. Like, he only got more handsome as time. Exa- yeah, and it's like, okay, he aged very gracefully. And he came back, you know, because in this in a similar kind of way, almost like Robert Downey Jr. did, where it's like, okay, it wasn't movies, but TV. Good point, yeah. T- I mean, he hit some, I mean, just some huge um, TV uh out of the park. I mean, he was, I mean, like, uh, are you talking about Downey or uh, uh, Rob Lowe? Rob Lowe. I mean, like, oh yeah. With the West wing. Oh, he was tremendous in the West wing. And when, when he showed really back good. up, you're like, okay, you felt, you felt good about it. And I think the thing was, you know, for Corey, uh, for Feldman, I mean, he like, bef- he never, he couldn't go away. He, I'm mean, like, he needed that limelight to still be there to feel like he needed some, or he was needed. And so he just, took whatever you get so he was on that surreal let's talk life about show. Corey feldman's career let's just let's just go down the list right here for a minute so Corey feldman who plays dean in the movie so in 1981 he was in the fox and the hound um in 1984 he was in friday the 13th the final chapter the and he was one. also in yeah the gremlins he was in gremlins also the same year uh in 1985 he was in another blockbuster friday the 13th the new beginning and the goonies two so just two more like big movies 1986, Stand By Me, which I think is my favorite performance of his, personally. And he, he's just amazing in that. Like That's the movie for me. Like You look at him and you go, this guy with the right 
type of, uh, you know, maybe mentorship or uh, just just management could have been a De Niro type guy. Like, oh, he, yeah, that that maybe, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm that's a little bit hyperbole. But I mean, he had like you you felt like whatever. Pay- <coughs> Sorry. Whatever pain Corey Feldman was feeling in real life, he was translating it onto the screen in the best ways. Yeah. In 1986, so Stand By Me. Like, that is a great, great movie. Um, the Lost Boys, 1987. Uh, again, the introduction of the Corys, the two of them, just fantastic. Uh, then there's The Burbs in 1989. Things start getting a little weirdy at this point. Um, I I wrote in quotes the Michael Jackson years. Yeah. Uh, so we let's just let's just stop. We'll, we'll jump back into his career because it does go on some more. The Michael Jackson stuff is bananas, dude. It is so out there. And I I listened to his book, his biography, which I recommend it. Like it's interesting. Just you know, he talks about he. It's interesting in a lot of ways. It's interesting because he's been in a lot of my favorite childhood movies. So you get that you know firsthand perspective of just how that went. You know, like his his encounters with people like Steven Spielberg, and you know, he talks about his mom, who I think was an actor, uh, and how you just just some of the pain and trauma of his life in a way that like David Spade would talk about in his book. Yeah, uh, really interesting. Just just you you right away you kind of feel for the guy, um, but I mean, he gets into the whole Michael Jackson thing and how I mean, this there's a lot of darkness in the, potentially in this episode. I want to sidestep it as much as possible, but. His relationship with I mean, pre Macaulay Culkin. I mean, Corey Feldman was one of Michael Jackson's first uh, obsessions of a young child Hollywood star. I feel like he he you know he he hung out with Feldman at that young age, and they would go to you know Disneyland, and you know their 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 friends were like you know like it wasn't uncommon to, for the phone to ring in his child his like house, and it would be Michael Jackson. Yeah, I mean they had this like tight relationship. And then all of a sudden, and, and obviously what kid wouldn't be over the moon for Michael Jackson in the mid eighties? I mean, you just, I know I was, oh, yeah. I wasn't getting calls from him and you know, he's getting all this attention from Michael Jackson. Uh, he's meeting all the friends, the like, I think he met family members, all the, you know, the Jackson's Tito. family, Tito, Janet, all of the bunch. And he just sort of stopped talking to him once he got of an age it, to him, and to probably, and it makes sense knowing what we know or all of the allegations that are out yeah. there. Yeah, um, don't want to get into it because it's 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 a topic that's very sensitive. Yeah, to me, no, and I've never had. No, we're not about that, and it's it's not like I've ever had that personally happen to me. But I mean, you know, pedophilia is something I don't joke about. Yeah, I'll joke about almost anything, but I will not joke about that. Like I don't, I'm not cool with that. And unfortunately. Michael Jackson has that stigma with him. And I don't know if it's true or not. He may just be like a, a person who just did not have a normal childhood, just desperately trying to make up for it with, and he had all the means and people telling him not to do it or not, not that way, but you know what I mean? Like nobody was telling him to you can't do this. Yeah. Regard, regardless of whatever happened or didn't happen, there were, there's issues around it that just aren't yeah. good. They, mistakes were made, and there's no way that he didn't traumatize Corey Feldman if he, in fact, was almost like courting him. Yeah. In this friendship, not maybe not in a sexual way, but mentally for sure, emotionally courting him, and then he just cut him off. You, I don't know how a kid handles that. Like, how does a kid who 
has Michael Jackson at, you know, just talking to them all the time and then just shutting them off. Like that's an, that's an insane thing to grapple with. Yeah. Whatever, even as me, whatever the demons are that Michael Jackson had himself from growing up with Joe Jackson and that stuff. I mean, regardless of whatever happened or didn't happen with Michael Jackson, we know the stuff, we know how Joe Jackson raised all the kids and it was not healthy by any means. And so, no, no, no. He was an abusive father. Yeah. For sure. So whatever those by, by all accounts. Oh yeah. However that manifested for Michael, it was something that he perpetuated in some capacity to the kids that he surrounded himself with how i mean however that however that got played out there were emotional implications regardless that you know as kids i mean and even for Corey feldman i mean he was you know he wasn't you know he wasn't an adult so he's still a child he may have been an older child he may have been a teenager yes but it's still exactly there's there's well, implications he, he of it, was, no matter what. He was he the eighty five is when the, at the height of I think their friendship. He when he was filming Goonies, I think they met on the set of Goonies. Yeah. Uh, so like if you you know if you can imagine him at that age, like what was he like eleven, twelve, thirteen? Yeah. So, so he, he wasn't yeah. a kid. He was he was basically a teenager. Um, but you know that he he developed this fascination with Michael Jackson. He adopted like that persona of the late eighties. You know, like the longish hair. Yeah. Uh, the the smooth criminal at time you know like the yep. hat and the suits the snappy suits he he adopted that and to this day he still puts on those clothes in that wig I assume I guess it's a wig uh, and he dances like Michael Jackson from that era yeah he um he uh <clears throat> I was just like wondering like what's Corey Feldman's career look like because you know like I start I like to start with you know w- the accolades the bona fides or whatever if you will of a of an actor and like. I talked about the Michael Jackson years right after that. He did dream a little dream, which is another Corey Feldman. Um, this movie that came up when we were talking about the uh, body spot movies, I may have to just go ahead and watch this thing. It, it just seemed like something that I wasn't interested in, even though like, you know, I love the burbs like that. I, I dig him in the burbs a ton. I love him in the burbs. I loved him in lost boys stand by me. All these movies, that movie just didn't seem like it was for me. Uh, Ninja turtles obviously is Donatello huge 1990. Oh yeah. I loved him in that. Uh, then he came back for uh, the for, for part three. I think he was having some some substance abuse issues between um, Joe Dante. I think even in his book, like it, it was a struggle getting Corey Feldman to be professional and work in eighty nine in eighty eight or eighty nine when they were filming Burbs. Because uh, I mean Joe Dante, of course, had him in uh, Gremlins in yeah. four and was had an affinity for Feldman. I'm sure. He was just like the the you know the prototypical kid actor man. He was like Joey Lawrence, but times ten. Yeah, he was in everything. He was in everything. But around that time, I think is when the substance abuse stuff started happening. And behind the scenes, I think that's when a lot of his um uh, you know child, like molestation type things were happening to him. Uh, like he has, there's all kinds of books and documentaries that he is you know pushing. Where he's, you know, he's he's obviously trying to out the people and make them, you know, pay, make sure people know that they did those things to he and Haim. But at the, at the same time, it's weird. Like, he's also trying to make a buck. And I don't understand why are you doing that as a means to get your message out there to, like, you know, like to make money to, to produce more content? Or are you just trying to make a buck? And that's that's like that weird 
there's that little nagging itch in the back of my head. Is like, I wonder how much of this is just made up or it's yeah. Uh, there's know, a very strange in his head and not real. Yes. You don't know what's in a person's head. Like uh, the brain is such a weird thing. And especially for a child, if you, you know, as we've talked about already, don't need to rehash that. Um, you don't, I just don't know. I don't know. Like what maybe in his head, all of this happened for real. Who knows? But anyway, after that, I just, he just went into obscurity. I think after the turtles movies, uh, he, he made an appearance in the Dickie Roberts, former child star as a cameo, you know, just any child actor, made an appearance in that movie. It was just like everybody. The David Spade flick from 2003. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you look at the, I mean, if you just, if you pull up his history on IMDb, you see, you know, you could almost kind of plot this on a graph to where like you see these, you know, these movies that are heading in, in a particular kind of direction. It's like, okay, his career's on the rise. And then yeah. it just kind of drops off because it's like, okay, yeah. none of this stuff is really all that impressive. And then, I mean, even if you don't look, if you don't look at the titles, you just look at, you know, the years is like, he never stopped working. No, no. But so the, many things, a lot of sequels to his successful movies, like direct to video fair. Yeah. A lot of those, um, just a whole bunch of stuff. Like, and not only movies, but you know, musician, like he, he, he's, he's tried his hand, his hand in music. He's tried his hand in producing, you know, he, he, he's, he's busy. Like he, I respect that. He's a hustler. He's definitely trying to stay relevant. I think in a, in a way that like a Kevin Smith tries, but way more successfully, he, like he, he finds that cutting edge way to stay relevant. Yeah. Uh, Feldman also is trying to do it, but you know, may, maybe he just doesn't have the talent or maybe he just can't keep it together or maybe he just weirds people out. Like, I, I want to love Heath Feldman, but he, he gives me a weird, creepy kind of vibe a lot of times. Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing with, with Feldman is like, if, you know, if I would have seen a break somewhere in like the early 90s, maybe the mid 90s to like the early 2000s, if he'd have taken, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years off and just... You know, if if there would have been a cushion there for him to just kind of fall and just hit some mm-hmm. hit some kind of place where it's like, OK, everything, you know, maybe, you know, sp- spend a little time in jail or go to I mean, go to some kind of meaningful therapy to where he I mean, in a in a, that similar sense as Rob Lowe. It's like with Rob Lowe, you're like, this is a guy who dealt with whatever demons he had. There's no way he yeah. can be the guy that he is today if he didn't meaningfully deal with that. And it is that you wish. You wish almost like a Corey Feldman could have, you know, could have bumped into a Rob Lowe at some point and be like, wow, man. Oh, yeah. How did you how did you do It's like, oh, I went and talked to this guy or oh, I got into this program. That's exactly right. Like the dude had he had talent. And if he just like I said before, if he just had the right people around him encouraging him to do the right things. uh, But he just didn't No, And I think that happens with most young child celebrity stars. I think that's just what it is. I mean, kids are not adults. They don't have the capacity to make adult decisions. No. And if, if you have people around you who just allow you to make, um, decisions that are going to, you know, that are unhealthy for you. I mean, that's obviously things are going to go wrong and, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely get into Hain too, but what Feldman did do instead of the healthy thing that you said he should have done is he fell into like the whole reality TV. Yeah. Fad. Uh, that's one thing that he was more known for in the 2000s is that he produced that reality show with 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 Haim, 
the two Corys. And to me, it just seems sleazy. I never watched it. It seemed like an idea that Kevin Smith would have that, or not that he would have, but it's the kind of thing that he could have done with yeah. his relationship with Muse. He could have very easily had MTV create a show where he, he and Muse are in, in his home trying to get him together. But he, but, but the difference is, is that Kevin Smith has way too much self-respect for himself and his friendship and love for Muse. Like he would not put him in front of a camera because it would be completely, utterly self-destructive. Now they did do the podcast, but I mean, it was only after he was in, in rehab. Yeah. You know, he completed rehab and was clean. And then they, he had that, you know, way to keep an eye on him, keep him busy. And I think for, for all intents and purposes, it's worked really, really well. He did have a relapse, but I mean, he's doing, he's handling it in, in a way that the, the, the Corys did not. And if you, if you want to, if you want to get a, a sense of what Feldman's career is at this very moment, just Google, uh, go for it on YouTube. It's a video. He got Snoop Dogg to do a track, like a, a, a voice. I don't know what you call it. I'm not cool. I don't, I don't know what they call it when like a rapper comes in, like featuring Snoop Dogg, like one of those things. Oh, yeah. But he, he's got that, like, he's got that band where, again, he, he adopts that Michael Jackson persona. Like, I don't know how, like, the Jacksons don't just straight up sue him for this ripoff of what he does. Maybe there's um, some kind of but, underground agreement. You, maybe, maybe. That's very interesting. It's very interesting. But he has like these like like Victoria's Secret style angels like on instruments, like a Robert Palmer kind of thing. And it I mean it's one hundred percent shot. This video is like one hundred percent shot on like an iPhone iPhone eight. And there's no <laughs> way it's not. You know, it has like no hardly it has some production values. Like I don't know if I could necessarily make a better video, but I think I could probably do it. <laughs> but he's he's doing these dances and it's just it, it it's 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 it would be it's like watching Shaquille O'Neal like trying to dominate in basketball even though he's got all the aches and pains like he's still trying to do like some of those dance moves, yeah. And it's it's horrible. And he never had the talent of Michael Jackson. So like even in his like heyday, like it's not like he could have done anything that Michael could do on his on even on Corey Feldman's best day. But it it's brutal, dude. It's really it's brutal. And I know he's made appearances on like morning talk shows around this time, and people would just. It's mean. It's it felt mean spirited that you know, like the Today Show would invite him on and perform. Um, there are a lot more people like Doctor Oz or some clips out there where he would come on and talk about his book and his abuse and things, and talk about the Corey felt the Corey Haynes uh, issues. I have a little more respect for that. Like, yeah, you're exploiting the situation, but you're at least talking about this. You know, like you're trying you're, you're trying to employ something that could be, you know, benefit. It's not just like hey. Look, we got a monkey, and he's gonna throw shit at the wall. Watch, <laughs> he's gonna throw shit at it'll the be, wall. It'll for the be next interesting. It's so bad. It's so 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 bad. But it, you 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 have to like, you know, pause this podcast and just go Google that. Go for it. And Snoop Dogg is definitely seems to be in there, but it's it's not <laughs> one of Snoop's better performances. I wouldn't say. Corey Feldman's voice just seems horribly auto tuned, even though it's like 2017. Uh, it's got a dubstepy kind of like he's just throwing anything at the wall and hoping it sticks in this in this video. Oh, Corey! And you know you totally could go down the rabbit hole of Corey, like just Corey Feldman's talk show appearances on YouTube. Like there's just hours and hours and hours of it. And 
you know, it, it it's just, it's to me, it's kind of heartbreaking. Like he, it is. he definitely, it really he is. tried, he really tried. I mean, he, he got, he's been married a few times. He did have a son. He, well, I mean, he has a son. It's not like he died, <laughs> but you know, he, he tried, he really, he, he made a go of it. Like, I think it's just, it's just like the Jason Mewes story that didn't turn out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, should we move on to Corey Haim, I guess? Uh, <laughs> it's not any happier. Definitely. Out of the frying pan and into the fire. Uh, yeah Corey Corey Haim like to me he was like in the 80s he just seemed like such a he was like a really nice kid uh you know but not just like a nice boy but like someone who was equal parts cool and kind of a geek and some stuff uh he seemed like you know he had an extremely rare future uh which you know why knowing now what we know it just makes it so tragic you know his, again his chemistry with Felton was really really good i mean it's it's the caliber of a rogan and franco who if you think about it, it's kind of you know, <laughs> scandalous and tragic in its own way they they don't even seem to be talking anymore or at least professionally not working together yeah rogan's throwing him under the bus it seems uh or farley and spade i've seen a disturbing pattern here with these these duos <laughs> but yeah feldman and Hayne, great chemistry uh Truth is, you know, like, you know, again, most of these young actors just don't make it out unscathed on the other side, you know, like a Leonardo DiCaprio or like a, like a Jason Bateman or even like a Sean Austin, like I talked about, like they, a lot of them just don't make it. Makes you wonder like what a Michael Sarah is going to be like in five to 10 years. <laughs> is he just going to be like a total weirdo or is he just going to lay low and have a comeback? He might. He he could. He might. He's not a terribly good looking fellow so that's not yeah but Haim, you know r.i.p he did die at 38 years old uh technically of a uh, of, of of pneumonia um but he he definitely was a, a a heavy drug user for sure um he was he started in lucas in 86 where he met apparently i think in that at that age that's when he had his dark you know encounters i guess you could say Especially the one, the one, the one that like really, the the name the name that came out of all the Corey Feldman book stuff like the the whole, um, uh, oh gosh, uh, why can't I think of his name now? From Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen apparently, supposedly according to Feldman, molested him in while making this movie. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's true. He's obviously you know Sheen and his people have denied it, denied it, denied it, denied it. It doesn't seem like it would be true. Like, why would he at this, at that point? It just seems weird. Like, Charlie Sheen, really? Yeah. <laughs> but Lucas was a big hit. Uh, then the Lost Boys, of course. Um, you know, Corey Haim, his, his career is, his success, when you think about how popular he was, feels way more attached to Feldman. Like once you start looking at his career, like it's not that impressive. No. Honestly, once you get, once you get past License to Drive, it's like he had he was in Crank Voltage. Apparently, I think I guess he had a part in that Jason Statham movie. I don't remember it, but I saw that yeah. on the list of his movies. It, it it had to be like, oh look, let's just throw this guy a couple hours of work. Like he could have had a major role in it. He played um, Randy. I don't. I mean, <laughs> Crank, uh, 
Was it the was crank high voltage? Was that the first one or the second? That was one? the sequel. I think that was the sequel. If okay, I'm not that's, mistaken. yeah, that's what I was like. Because the first one just feels like it would have been called crank, and then I think the second one was high voltage. And I like because a lot of people shit on those movies. Oh, they're awesome. <laughs> they're they're not good movies, but I think if you look at them through the lens of like they're a parody of what they're supposed to be, and I don't know how intentional. I or disagree. I think those crank movies are a lot of fun. <laughs> Oh, they're they're tons of they're just they're just horrible movies. Like there's yeah. like the I mean there's uh, like it's just we they're we, cheap looking. We, they're very we got cheap a thing movies. and just he's I mean like here like there's it's not gonna be like oh let's see how these characters grow and develop oh there's gonna we're gonna yeah no. it's well written it's, like, it's no, total it's, exploitation oh yeah. yeah it's just it's just I mean it's just it's just high energy the entire time and I I mean I love Jason Statham so I'm not shitting on the movies I think they're. I enjoy. Oh, I know you love Jason Statham, which is why I'm a little surprised that you would even make that claim. But th- I think the thing is, I think when you look at them through the lens of almost, you know, kind of, kind of along the lines of what Total Recall sort of is, to where it's like it's, it's, it's one of those like Crank. If you just look at Crank and you don't, you, you don't peel back any of it. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's has no real value other than just like oh, it's going to be high energy for 90 minutes a much better version of crank is limitless the bradley yeah. cooper movie that that's like a much better produced kind of in the same vein a little bit kind of or that lucy movie i, I you know like i i'm really i'm re- like very generally speaking of these types of movies to grouping them together but they the the frenetic style of them are, remind me of the same kind of style yeah and because the, the thing the thing that I really do appreciate about them, because I, I own both of them and I've seen both of them several times, is when you when you look at those movies and you actually look at it and you say, okay, it's kind of exploiting the fact, or like it's purposely exploiting the fact that there there are. I mean, this is kind of a formula for movies. This is a formula yeah. for certain movies where like just slap together whatever shit you want to and just make it high energy for ninety minutes. And so I do. I do give it at least a little bit of credit because, as as a as the thing it is, it's not good. I can enjoy it, <laughs> but it's not good. It's you know it. It's it's like McDonald's. Like I, I like McDonald's. Objectively speaking, it's but crap. it's not like McDonald's. I can never make the case that McDonald's You're right. is good it's for a, me. It's crap. It's crap movie, but it goes to it's. It tastes so good. And <laughs> like then then we're like, okay, but the thing is, you know, it's it's. Crank to me is like the super size me movie. It's like it's juxt like it's just this slight offshoot. It's about the same thing, but there's actually value to it. So it's it's kind of I'm like it's a weird dichotomy, and I don't think we'll ever do an episode on Crank. But that's kind of my is like no, I doubt in we and will. of itself. I doubt we will. If this you is, just we're watch, getting all the crank talk out. This right is now. the crank talk right now. <laughs> if you just it's watch, like, crank, this is where the white broads are talking about crank. <laughs> if you just watch crank for what it is, it's not a good movie. But if you Can watch, we change the name of our podcast to, to two white broads talking crank. A couple of white broads talking about crank. <laughs> but if if you watch it as kind of a uh, of almost like a satire of shitty action yeah. movies okay it gives it another layer to where it's like okay this is actually you know i can enjoy this on the shitty layer but i can also look at yeah. it and say okay you guys kind of did something you we pulled something past me where it's like there is merit to what you've done here yeah i, I don't think i've seen high voltage to be honest with you but I'm, I'm coming clean <laughs> if you saw the first honest. one you saw high voltage <laughs> it's the same movie 
Yeah. I, I No, the first crank I've seen a couple of times, and I, I really did enjoy it, but I don't think I stuck around for the second one. I feel like I... Because it, it is. It's just like if you're going through a Red Bull phase or something like that. Watching Crank is just like drinking copious amounts of Red Bull. Yeah, like it's, it's like so. It's so jittery. It's it's. And that. if you're if a couple of years later when Crank Hive when the sequel comes along, you're just like, nah, man, I don't need any more of that. Yeah, I was like, no, no, I'm good. I I saw it the first <laughs> time, but this one has Corey Haim. He plays Randy. Oh, maybe yeah. I do need to see it then. Hmm. So it's a check. It's a check in favor, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, I mean Corey Haim, he, he he's got that kind of crooked smile. You you can definitely see the appeal of him, and um, unfortunately, just uh, just did not. I mean, he he also did work. He worked a lot. You know, he he has a lot of you know direct video type movies. And if you you know want to hear us talk about any of those movies, then you're out of luck probably because we're yeah. not going to talk about Corey Haim most likely again unless we talk about Lucas or something or the Lost Boys possibly Snowboard Academy. <laughs> we won't be so doing move, that move, so we we we're past the Corys now we can finally get past the yes, Corys yes we've passed the Corys uh, you know I, I you know I, I couldn't it's like how do you not talk about the you have to the dysfunction and the tragedy without I mean you just can't I mean I want to I want to talk about this movie as, as joyously as possible because it is just a joyous movie for me uh, moving on so the, the next two characters really I just want to touch on is uh, Richard Master of course who plays the dad uh, he he was a TV star in the '70s of note. Um, did shows like Rhoda, One Day at a Time. Um, he was in The Thing, uh, part in The Thing. He he gets shot in the forehead by uh, Kurt Russell, which is you know, hey, if you're gonna go, that's the way to um, do it. Yeah, uh, he was in Risky Business. He played the uh, the 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 interviewer who comes to to interview Tom Cruise for Harvard in the midst of the party. I like him in that. Uh, My Science Project, uh, tr- tr- The Believers, Rent-A-Cop with Burt Reynolds. Uh, you know, just, just a bunch of movies where he plays sort of like a character actor, sometimes of authority, sometimes a cop. He was in My Girl. He played another dad in uh, Encino Man. We were talking about Encino Man. Yes. He played Mr. Morgan. So, I mean, again, you kind of get that dad vibe going once again five years later. Uh, Man without a face, multiplicity. Ro- the roles go on and on and on. He's he's done TV shows like Transparency and The Orange Is the New Black. He's he stayed relevant, and as far as I know, no scandal. So good good on him. Just just a dependable character actor who reminds you of somebody you know. You know, yeah. <laughs> Always with like a beard or some in this case a mustache. Uh, I should just say, yeah, you you'd probably make a good dad. Uh, you're you're a dependable dude, a stand up guy, as they might say. Um, any thoughts on and, uh, Richard Masser, uh, knowing that we will go into some more of his, you know, the nuances in this performance in this movie. He He's just, he's a solid guy. Yeah, he is. He's a solid dude. I like the guy. Uh, he, you know what you're going to get with him. Uh, and the really the only other actor who was a completely unknown at the time and went away until uh, Boogie Nights, honestly, really. <laughs> is uh, Heather Graham, who plays Mercedes Lane. And she is in her full Heather Graminess in this movie. I, she's enjoyable. I dig her. She spends a good chunk of the movie passed out or sleeping or, you know, <laughs> she's not like she has a lot to do. She's sort of weakened at burning, burning the, her performance for a good chunk of it. Yes. But, but as, as the, as the uh, apple to Haim's eye in the movie, as the, as the motivation to sneak out she's a good one i mean she's she's very cute 
she she's she's has a strong presence to her even as a young actress at this age like you totally see like she she already has that roller girl kind of look to her even at a very young age so i i really enjoyed her in this movie i think she did a nice job she reminded in this movie she reminds me a lot of uh uh caroline from 16 candles uh uh-huh. jake's girlfriend girlfriend who Get, goes goes to the party, gets drunk, and Anthony Michael Hall's dealing with it all night. <laughs> cuts cuts her hair. Like, yeah, gets caught in the door. That's like I got a I got a very yeah. strong vibe of that from her. Like the I can see that for sure, for sure. Uh, and then I'll you know like I we won't talk about. It. I mean oh oh okay all right. I got to mention one other dude, uh, and that would be uh, James Avery. <laughs> I was ho- I was Lexus. like uh, if you don't mention. Uh, <laughs> Uncle Phil, I'm, so I'm gonna sorry. have to. I'm gonna bring Uncle Phil no. in the fold. No, 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 no. We let's. All right, let's take a moment in the podcast right now to appreciate James Avery, another R.I.P. Uh, Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince, uh, Shredder, the voice from of Shredder, yes. Ninja Turtles. Yes, yeah, the voice of Shredder, and he is amazing in this movie as the DMV uh, instructor. His, oh yes, his like I love my coffee speech, like you know clipboards. I don't believe him. Like whips the clipboard, chucks out it the out window. the window. The juxtaposition of like his like Les's uh, driving instructor and his twin sisters so funny like she's got that laid back hippy dippy kind of guy yeah like let's see how you handle this hill <laughs> very very <laughs> good <laughs> it's like barely going up at all uh, that that part of the movie is the movie I think is is just the best part of the movie. Every, every time um, I, I always I always just want Corey like when he gets that license and he has it in his hand and he sees the lady walking he's like just run just run man why don't oh, you just I know. run every time yes it is you're right it's like every time you think he's gonna get away but you, he gets caught yes I hate he that. gets caught um so let's uh, what I'd like to do is talk about the key scenes with uh, Richard Messer and and Hain. Um or gosh I don't know. <sighs> Maybe that's not the best way to to approach talking about this movie, but because there there definitely are parts of this movie that I really really enjoy, like the instructor scene that have nothing to do with with uh, Richard Masser. Uh, I, I like, for example, I really dig the way the movie starts. Let's let's talk favorite scenes, okay? Let's just get those out of the way. Okay. If you got a favorite scene, we'll talk about it. Uh, I'll let you start first. You talk about a scene. Uh, and it could be a Richard Master. If you want to talk about one of those, we'll 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 check that box. But uh, if you got, you know, I got a couple, two or three that are worth talking about that are not necessarily revolved around that relationship. But yeah, you 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 go first. What would you like to talk about first? I I will say um, that the opening sequence to the entire movie. Um, I I, I, don't, I guess I, I, it's not necessarily a favorite scene, but what I really yeah. liked about it. Um, yeah, because I did. I like it's funny, too, because like I'm, I'm watching the movie and I'm paying attention to it. And even I mean, like the way I normally I mean, just a stupid little game that I play with myself, especially now, because there's tons more production companies there were back in 1988. Is everybody has their little logo, their little thing. And because I watch as many movies as I do and people have really unique production logos anymore, I try and like, yeah. OK, oh, this is voltage pictures. This is. You know Regency, and I try and I was like, okay, well, whose is this? And I, Castle I just rock all those. Yeah, yeah, I just I'm I like I don't know. I just blacked out or wasn't paying attention. 
because the whole opening sequence to me, like I had to go and look, is like, is this a new line film? Because the whole opening sequence totally reminded me of the opening to the first several Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Oh, yes. Good call. I, I definitely made a note of that myself. It feels like a Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. scene. That very surreal nightmare bus, you know, like like Freddy is the bus driver yeah. in this opening sequence. And 100%. E- even, even like the type of bus that it is, that it's not the boxy normal school bus, but yeah. it's that weird kind of like old, dirty, dr- rounded yeah. roof. It's like, this looks like... I like, it's I like the sp- bus that dumps out all those kids from you can't do that on television in the yeah. opening sequence. I was like, this looks, I mean, like this feels very much like the, especially, I believe it's the Nightmare on Elm Street 2 opening. But it's like, you know, that whole opening sequence yeah. and then. Oh, yeah, for sure. He, he gets out and he, you know, he goes and there's Heather Graham in the car and he, you know, does his fancy driving and gets away and there's the big explosion. It's <laughs> like, this is. Like this is this is so great, and then it just cuts into that. You know, he's sleeping in the middle of class, right? Right. Uh, and it was it's sort of tying in. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's it really does when you go back and you're watching a movie that was 1988, iconic because of the Corys. You're like, this is yeah. such an 80s opening to a movie, and I just oh, I good lord, that. yes, I did too. For me, like the bus scene, like I don't know what it is, but like everything just felt distorted and sizes felt distorted like things look bigger than they should or something uh it for me around this time a popular style of shooting like music videos was like that kind of dj jazzy jeff like parents just don't understand like this looked like a parents just don't understand type scene in a video it's very cheap looking but very effective and very 80s as hell like you said yeah but i dig that scene it's a great way to open a movie you get you sort of get um you get what the movie's going to be about. He he has a fan. He's fantasizing about Mercedes. He's fantasizing about breaking free of the transportation system that he's grown up with. He wants to be in the car, in the driver's seat, impressing the girl, speeding around in the Ferrari. I mean, it's this is what the movie's about. This is his fantasy, and the movie that comes is just like the jacked up shit that happens to him trying to fulfill his fantasy yeah. just does not go well. But I, I do dig that. Um, I I will go ahead and let's just talk about the driver's test scene. There's so many good uh, it, it early. Th- really, this movie is like two movies. It's it's the obtaining of the license and the hijinks of the night that where he and it's it all is centered around like all of his actions are based on like his frantic behaviors of knowing that he doesn't have a driver's license. Yeah. And trying to impress and he's sneaking out because like everything just kind of folds in on itself like he would have had access to his mother's car if he had just passed his test and if he hadn't lied even like you know he wouldn't have been in trouble he wouldn't have had to have like sneak out necessarily being grounded like everything just like stems from him failing that driver's exam and i just really dig um that drivers like you know he goes in he, he has like the written test and he's, he's at first all cocky and he's like, you know, I don't want they just give driver's licenses away. And I love the way they captured like the stress of taking a test like that when you're just not completely prepared. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like we've all gone into a test where we just think it's going to be like, okay, I'm going to go into this test. It can't be that hard. I'm just going to read the four answers and one's going to stand out and I'm going to pick it. It's like the way, honestly, it's the way I approach those 
uh, human, like what, what do you call like the, the, um, it worked that you take them every year and it's like, you, you're like how you're supposed to behave. At work. Oh yeah. <laughs> like you know the, I mean? the ethics stuff. Yeah. The ethics. Yes. The ethics and compliance things that everyone has to, if you're a professional and you work in an office, you have to take that every year. I, I never worry about that test. Cause I know all I have to do is just speed through all of the crap and then pick the answer that is the only one that makes sense. It's like, like is oh, appropriate. three of these are highly unethical. Right. And one of them is clearly the right answer. <laughs> oh, you mean I shouldn't squeeze the titties of the coworker? Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be drunk during my work hours? When did that go into effect? I'm not supposed to accept bribes from people who may have, you know, like, I'm not, like, it's, it's so funny. So I don't, I never sweat those. To me, the only downside of it is I know I'm just wasting time. That's it. Yeah. So he's, he's approaching it that way. And then right away he, he gets a, you know, and I'm like looking at these uh, questions and a couple of them are like, Oh, wh- which one is it actually? I'm not even positive. I, I mostly know, like I was taking the test along in the movie with the movie in my head. And like one of them, I think I got wrong. <laughs> Like the other ones, I was good, but I think one of them, I was actually like, "Oh shit, I got the wrong answer." So I feel him. I I can totally relate to him in that scene. And just you know, I love how the test is like, "Warning: If you get one more wrong, yes. you fail." Like they would ever have that type yeah. of tone. Like, wait a minute, <laughs> this is built into this. Like this program is so <laughs> rudimentary, and yet it has this feature. That seems yes. that seems out of the ordinary. It does. But he does fail, and and and, and the, what makes it worse is his twin sister is like the brainy, does everything right. Uh, she finishes the test early and like hasn't broken a sweat and walks out. And you know, of course, when he fails, he like stands up and hits the computer. Like I've taken Microsoft certification tests and stuff. Like I always think of that scene. Like I've never failed one of those certification tests, but there's always so much pressure on you because you. First of all, they're expensive. You have to spend a lot of time preparing to take them. Yeah. With, you know, books and and just, you know, your time. And if you fail, you can't just take it again. Like, you have to wait. And then there's the whole, like, oh, God, I got to spend 200 more bucks of my own money because job's not going to pay for me failing. So I I always imagine that scene. Like, if if I were to fail one of those, I'm like, does it say a warning if you miss one more? If you miss one more, you fail at life. (laughs) And then will I stand up and hit the computer and will it like go out? Like, <laughs> oh, oh, what? I, are we good? Is that, did that take care yeah, of Yeah, we're fine. So I, I dig it. And again, another scene where he like, he walks out and they're all kind of just sort of wondering what's going to happen. He knows he failed, but he's not going to admit it. And then that like wonderful actress with like the red hair and like the, Again, something about the way they shot her, it just looks out of place or the, the I don't know. It's just, it was like nearly like almost like a fisheye lens. Yeah. It was just like a very, like just kind of uh, in your face. It's like they're, they're filming it. Like you're supposed to be viewing it as a nightmare again, but this is real life. This wasn't a dream. It's just weird choice they made, but it works. (laughs) And she gives him the pass because his twin sister got a perfect score or whatever. I love that logic. Certainly you can't be that different than your sister. Have you never met siblings? They're always completely opposite. Is that how the DMV handles stuff? Yeah, I guess. I guess. 
And the rest of the other people that were standing around weren't happy with that at all. They were like, oh, this is bullshit. Like, I, I love... What about me? I, the one thing I love about that is that's such an 80s crowd, too. And it's not yeah. because, and it's not because like, oh, they're all wearing 80s clothes. It's like, there's one guy who's like a chic. And there's, yeah. there's like this <laughs> random collective of people. It's like, is this a citizenship test? Where did all these people come from? <laughs> That's such a good boy, man. International Day at the DMV? Why are there so many wildly different people here? (laughs) I mean, it's Los Angeles. I mean, you know, diversity could happen, I guess. It's just, that's always like, oh, there's a crowd of people. It's like, well, we got to have the one one guy from. Well, obviously, there's got to be a sheik. We got to have a guy from the Middle East. That's a Uh thing. We got to have. Oh, they, they had like. They had like twelve different Halloween costumes in the wardrobe, and they just dressed. He's like, all right, all just pick them. whatever you want. Everybody's got to wear something. Different. Yeah, we got a farmer here. We got a sheik. We like, got a milkmaid. Can we just wear our normal clothes? <laughs> no, 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 no. Your normal clothes are too no, that's lame. Not, that's not how this would. This is DMV. It's not how that would happen. I, I, maybe that was a, on purpose. Like maybe they just did those things intentionally, just to make you feel like out of place and weird. Uh, One guy's wearing a suit yeah. of armor. This seems out of the, out of the <laughs> suit ordinary. Of armor. Why would he be wearing a suit of armor to get a driver's license? Oh, that would be amazing. I would love that. All right, so that's that's another one of my. Oh, and and the and the like the the taking of the picture. Yes. That I and I, when I was like homework, you know, like I did that on Facebook. Like I showed a screenshot of when Les uh, gets to take his driver's license photo. Like that image. Like I actually know a dude whose driver's license first driver's license photo was that image. Like he actually pulled that move. And you know, like I remember him telling us about it <laughs> out at work one day, and he was like, "No, no, I really did that." And we're just like, "Yeah, right, yeah, right." And then he pulled it out, and I was like, "Swear to God, it was like one for one." Like he was making that face, nice, which which takes a lot of gumption, because uh, you would just assume that they would be like, "No, no, no, we get ten to fifteen of you people a day doing that. We're not. Stop it. We're not stop doing it. this. Take off the suit of armor. I will not. I will not print one more of these. I'm not doing this. ironic cornea." <laughs> Not doing it. Uh, uh, next for you, sir, is another scene you would like to um, talk about. I, w- I will say because it's a, it's a scene. I feel like because um, I, I sort of referenced it earlier, um, but it's I feel like it's really relatable and not just like on a one to one kind of thing. But um, when his dad comes to pick him up at school in the Cadillac, and they're driving yeah. home, and he sees Mercedes. As he dad, mm-hmm. dad, dad, and, he, and so he gets his dad to let him um, drive over there to pick her up and take her home, which is just three houses down. But let's give her a cruise. <laughs> but then, then she's like, "Oh, I'm not going home. I'm going to my friend's house." And he has that moment, yeah, where you've been oh, you've been yeah. given ex- you've already been given extreme permission by your parent, and they're cool with it. And like you're mm-hmm. kind of in that zone where it's like, oh, I got extra, per- like I got to stay up later or I got a special, whatever it was. I got a special permission to do something. And you're confronted with, oh, and I got to shit on it because I, I need to go further, but I'm I'm not really supposed to. Like you've been given permission. That, like you can go to the corner store. Yes. And it's like, oh, but my friends want to go to the. And then you walked to the store like two miles down yeah. instead. And you're like, oh, I'm going to that, be that's in such exactly, big trouble. I, I, I noted that. That's one of my key scenes. Uh, I love that scene. It 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 really epitomizes, I think, the relationship really well for, for this movie. Yeah. You're right. It's like he was only supposed to drive past her, really. Yeah. So that he, she could see him driving this 
old fucking cat. Like, no, like, one of the funny things about this movie to me is how cool they try to make this Cadillac scene. Yes. Like, even the younger kids, you know, like, Feldman's character, like, has this fantasy of going to this Archie's Atomic out in, in the middle of nowhere where all the coolest rides go. And, yeah. I mean, this is clearly a grandpa car. Even down to the license like, plate. It says grandpa, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's this, it's that like mint, boring green. Like there's nothing flashy about this car. It's got white walls, maybe even. I'm not sure. I didn't pay close enough attention. But he, yeah, he's he's supposed to just drive by, kind of get the acknowledgement, and then come back. He already takes it a step further when yeah. he sees her and offers to take her home because he, I guess, has an idea that she already lives in that neighborhood. Yeah. So he 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 dope he duped his father already. Like he know that was his plan. Like I'm telling my dad I'm only driving by, knowing fully well that I'm going to take it that extra step. He was going to take it that normal kid extra step. He's like, further. I could smooth this one over. That's it. Three houses. Oh, dad, yeah. sorry. Three houses. I yep. oh. I get it. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. He was, he already budgeted for that amount of, you know, it's going to stretch it just a little bit. And as a father, you must expect the stretch a bit. If you're giving permission, you might as well budget on your side. Yeah. The amount of stretching that the kid will do. My kid's probably going to be an idiot here and do a little something extra. Right. Yep. All right. Let me incorporate that. But she is like, you know, when she sees him, she's like, oh, but I'm not going home. You were walking home. You weren't walking to your friend's work. You you? were going to walk the extra mile and a half to your friend's house? What kind of sociopath are you? (laughs) So she's already like stretching it herself. But when she says, and he he does, he has that moment. He looks in the mirror. His dad is standing in the, he's drenched in sweat. Holding pampers. Standing outside. (laughs) Holding pampers. So many pampers. So many. Like boxes <laughs> and bags. Like, what? I mean, they're, they're, they don't even have a baby in the house yet. And he's already stocking up on pampers like the apocalypse is And I'm like, you, you've already had three kids. Like, you, I think you know how this goes, right? Like, this I shouldn't know, be right. This shouldn't be like, oh, I need this many pampers. It's like. I mean, that is honestly on him, right? Yeah. I mean, that he's standing out in the heat with all those pampers. That's his fault. I can't blame. I can't put that one on less. But I mean, he it is. I mean, he's like sweltering. He's got like his hair is just like wet and like matted to his forehead, and he's only been standing outside for like thirty seconds. <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> is it four hundred <laughs> degrees outside, sir? Are you okay? I mean, you joke, but I mean that is me. Like, oh, no, I would already that, be I'm, that sticky yeah. and hot and wet and sweaty. I don't want to go outside again <laughs> until December. Right the now, air, the literally. air is blowing. the The air condition is full max, and I'm still sweating. Yeah. So, but yeah, he looks in the mirror, and then he just he does. He kind of makes that decision, and you can just kind of see when he puts the car in drive, and he just, and then like his dad is just standing there, less, like, less, less, less. <laughs> just You're runs like, after. Oh, him. he is such a dead kid when he gets home. That's a really good scene. I dig that. Uh, but but just. It is. It's cool. Like, if you think about that scene in its entirety, I got to just talk about it. So he's such a dad in this scene. I love it. Uh, He, you know, he pulls up good, good intentioned. uh, Les is getting out of school. He misses his bus and he just happens to be in the neighborhood. And he's already like clueless. Like he pulls up in his grand, the grandpa car yelling for his kid. And he gives him that, like, I don't know who you are kind of treatment. And he walks away. And like, 
He's like, it's Papa Bear. <laughs> I love that scene so much. He's just like half hanging out of the car, the entire car. Less. You don't hear me. Like he's just loudly and yelling out. Like, and it's <laughs> that's one of the things that's great about being a dad now. Because yeah. I was like, I can like my dad never would have done that because that was not how my dad was at all. But like I can, no, right. t- I can totally relate to being a teenager in that position and be like, oh my god, sure. I'm so embarrassed. But then like as a dad now, I'm like, I'm yeah. so gonna do that to my kids. I'm totally gonna, gonna pull be up that in guy. this houseboat of a car, oh, half yeah. hanging out of the window. I like Les, I want to get that Cadillac. I want to want to track down one of the ones from this movie. I think they had like thirteen of them. I was like, hey, I need this. Give me the Grandpa license plate. I want the Frank Sinatra tape. Yo, oh, yeah. I'm cruising yeah. up to the high school. Hey, King of the Hill. It's Papa Bear. <laughs> Hop on in, kiddos. It's an adorable scene. I love it. And but you know he is. He's trying to be an, a cool dad. You know he he's he's got a plan. He wants to spend time with his kid. He's like, I'm gonna you know we're gonna get. I'm going to pick him up. He's going to drive this big car. He acknowledges it's a big car. It's like, hey, if you can get around in this car, then, you know, your mom's car will be a piece of cake. And they are. They're, they're driving around. He's letting them, you know, as the, as the permit kind of deal. And I love that he's, like, letting them, they're, they're listening to popular music. Yes. You know? Like, he's not even, like, you know, because like, one thing that I, I'm going to dread is putting up with, like, whatever awful music my kids sing. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> When your kids are young, you can expose them to all like the vetted cooler music. Good from stuff. Not not just your generation, but like actual good music that other previous generations all agree. Like this is the good music. Oh yeah. And you give it to them. You feed it to them. You hope that one day, you know, that they're the good taste, like that foundation that you lay yeah. will inform them on their musical choices and they just don't listen to, you know whatever piece of crap, you know, comes out. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so, but I like that he's letting him listen to his music and inevitably, like you say, they're just bopping along and then he sees Mercedes walking. And I like that he like kind of, they, they kind of like lean down in the car. Like he's already game. Like he knows that it's, it would be embarrassing for him, you know, his father to be seen. Like he's, he's just going along with it. He's not being a douche. Like you're already, pretty much admitting to me that you're going to be a douche to your kid when yeah. that scene happens. <laughs> you're not, you're going to refuse and you're going to be indignant to like duck down. Like there will probably like, be times, like- there'll, there'll be times <laughs> like I'll be cool, but like there are yeah. definitely going to be times where I'm like, okay, I'm totally playing a dad card here because when we come over here, I will, I will play the wingman card and yep. that's where I'm going to save your butt. See, for me, when I'm hearing this, honestly, it's going to depend on them. If they, yeah exaggerate too much on the embarrassment of you like you know that i mean no matter how you could be the coolest dad in the world you're just embarrassing to your kid yeah and you got it you got to understand that like it's not it's nothing personal but when you when you take it overboard with that like no dad you are a loser i don't want to be with you like okay well now you're going to know what a real embarrassment it's like oh you want to amp this up like yeah i'm a dad i don't need to go out in public and make friends (laughs) because you and i I have we're at the point of our lives nothing embarrasses us no. at all. No, no, no. It doesn't matter. I don't care. I will hang out of a Cadillac and say it's Papa Bear. It's Papa Bear, <laughs> and one hundred percent not give a shit what anybody thinks. Uh, but I, I do like that. You know, they had that little conversation. He's like, "Dad, I got this favor. I want to pull up." And at first, he's like, "No, you know, that's a terrible idea." 
but then he's like, Dad, it's the last favor I'll ever ask. Like he pulls that classic manu- that move, you know? And I love that he's like, you know that's a big favor. <laughs> yeah. I, I, but I, then he goes along with it. I love that. It's like, it's the last thing I'll ever ask for. It's like, really? You think that's... Right. This is where the this is where the trail ends, huh? After this, it's nothing. It's just you're completely self self sufficient. Yeah, it it's the last favor thing. Never really. I mean, you can't buy that. But he he buys it. He goes along with it. He, he, he understands the yeah, situation. He he's reading it cor- He's reading it correctly. You know, and it's a cool thing. Um, since we're talking about these key scenes, I want to just talk about like his Richard Master. The way I like that. He he gets heated and angry, he like he's quick to anger, but then he cools off always. Yeah, and then usually by the by the end of the scene, he's very uh, collected and calm. And even when he's doling out the punishment, like when he finds the past failed, and he kind of comes in, and he's sort of got this nervous. There's this confrontational energy to him. He's got the champagne glasses. And he's like, "You just saved me twenty six thousand dollars." And you know, like Les doesn't know that he knows. And he's like, why, why did I do that, dad? And he's like, you know, he reveals the failed test failed. He's just like so mad. But by the end, they're kind of like on the bed. And he's like, you know, I understand. He's like, basically paraphrasing. I understand why you did what you did. I know what you were thinking, you know, two weeks grounding. It's not the end of the world. Like that's a good way. You know, you, you, you acknowledge like, Hey, I don't have to, I don't have to pretend like I'm going to choke you like Homer Simpson violence yeah. on Bart Simpson. I, I mean, yeah, I have to let you, you, I need to let you know that I'm very upset. Like there has to be an imprint in your brain that what you did prompted this reaction that has to be there. Uh, but I like that, you know, like I say, he cools off, he comes back and he does that a lot in the movie. Like most of the times that Les screws up really, really, really bad quick heated anger followed by a period of cooling off and then acceptance that his kid's a dumbass, And then he gets that loving punishment. <laughs> so, yeah. Next scene I'm going to talk about is the cleaning out of the garage scene towards the beginning of the movie. Um, mostly because it just kind of makes me laugh, like looking at, cause you know, like they're, he's cleaning out the garage to make room for the caddy. But the driveway is just cluttered with boxes and paint cans and just, I mean, enough clutter to fill six garages. Did You're you like, notice this? Where did this? all of this stuff come from? <laughs> like, why did they have that much shit? And in their where are you, you going have... to put it? I know. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. And they already have two cars. Yeah. Like, he has a BMW that, well, his dad took the BMW. And but I mean his mom, where like is she parking in the driveway? Like yeah, some like, people guys, just don't use their garages for cars. This is a like, one car a garage filled with crap, <laughs> and you have two cars. Uh, how how does this work? But you get this sort of appreciation for the relationship that he has with Les. Like he overhears Les and Dean. They're talking about, um, you know, the, oh they see the caddy. They're like, oh yeah, this this. Even though this car was clearly made for a, a, a grandpa in their sixties and seventies, you know, like we're we're gonna we're gonna like impress ladies taking this car, and like we we got to be able to get this car for this, and then like the dad like over here is like you know like no no that's not gonna happen, but why don't you help me clean out these boxes? And I just like the scene where like Dean fakes the cough and the sickness, and he's like, yes. I'm coming down with something. Oh, I'm <laughs> I'm allergic to cardboard boxes and dust and like 
moving and but I love that he's even as he's like clearly bullshitting him and he he rides away. He's like, take care of that car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like the dinner with the family scene shortly after that too. With the one where Dean pulls up with his mom obnoxiously, like just just holding leaning on the horn. <laughs> That's a really funny scene. But I, I just I, I liked that whole family eating at the dinner table dynamic that I missed as a kid. Like I didn't oh, yeah. really have any of that. You know, mom, I mean, mom's pregnant. She's really pregnant. She's like, she's got like the giant plate of mashed potatoes style helping of mashed potatoes covered with <laughs> ketchup. With ketchup. Oh, my God. I ate this with all of you I kids. Just, yes. But I just, just like, you know, he, they're just having that sort of playful banter at the, uh, at the dinner table. I dig that, you know, he, he. And the thing about the thing that makes me this makes me upset is his obsession with getting a brand new BMW. Yeah. Um, now, there I I fully understand that there are kids who grow up in families who are just so well off that the thought of a brand new car of any kind is just not a big. It's like an expected thing. Yeah. So why not why not shoot for a BMW? I guess if you already know you're getting a brand new car. Like I personally, my first car. Like I, my whole point of this is like, let's talk about our first cars. I thought this would be a fun way to discuss <laughs> what our first cars were and how awful mine was. But so yeah, he he's he has the gall, the nerve to expect a BMW. My first car was a 1980 Chevy Camaro, white, <laughs> just white, man. Nice. Freshly painted though. Yeah, uh, it. It had uh, no door handle on the inside on the passenger side, which is pretty awesome for like friends. Uh, but it was my car, you know, like that's you just it's like you're reminded of the Bumblebee scene from Transformers yes. and how they made that an integral part of the movie. Just a boy in his first car or whatever. It's true. Like you do get excited about your first car. And even though it's, you know, for me, in my case, it wasn't ideally the car that I would have liked to have had. Um, I honestly would have been just fine with like a Cutlass Supreme or something. I like <laughs> the would have just fine with it. Yeah, get your cut. Whatever, didn't it? Just or a Beretta. I don't know something. Just like what? What's a car that like everybody had back then? Oh, like, the Beretta. Carlo. I don't. One of the things yeah, I the, said I would do if I ever won the lottery is I would buy just hundreds of Berettas, like every Beretta <laughs> I could find. I would just buy it, and I would have a warehouse uh-huh. full of them, and I would just paint them all different colors. And what I would do is I would drive, I would just get one. I was like, give me the sky blue Beretta. And I would drive it until it was dead and then just leave it wherever it died. And I was like, all right, now bring me the maroon Beretta. <laughs> you got a guy who's just on Yeah, I just call, it's I like, call he's Carl. He's like your Jarvis. Hey, Carl, bring <laughs> no, me a new Beretta. Jarvis, launch the Beretta. Launch maroon. the Beretta this <laughs> hone in on my location and drone me a Beretta. Oh my god, that is now that is a fantasy that I've never heard. <laughs> yeah, because it's really adopt. stupid. That is a good but one. that's what I would do. Like if I had, if I won the lottery and I had a just a such ridiculous a gross, amount of money, such a gross. I was like, I would do all of it. Like I would pay off all the stuff, do all the, all the really, really responsible stuff first, and then like the money that I had, I would I would parse out a chunk of money. It's like, <laughs> what are the stupidest like- things I could do with this? All the Berettas. Like, I'm going to go to Walmart and buy all the pants. Just give me all your pants. All of them. Men's pants, women's pants, kids' pants. 
I want all the pants. And people just come in and like, I'm not feeding any homeless. I no. want all the Berettas. <laughs> Give me all the Berettas. And I want all the pants from that store. Holy shit. That's amazing. Um, I would be an irresponsible but, millionaire. But my dream car from this time period, and I'm dating myself a little bit, that I would have loved to have had the, the cool little car. And I like the little golf that, you know, they jump in at the end of the movie and take off. That would have been a fun little car for that time period. Yeah. That Mercedes owned. Uh, but the the Pontiac Fiero, that was the car that realistically, I like, you know, like, yeah, you could ask for a Ferrari or dream of owning a Lamborghini or whatever. But a tangible The Pontiac vehicle. Fiero, yes, that seemed like something that, you know, if only your parents made a little more money and if only this or that, whatever the, the scenario plays out in your head, like that would have been the car that I would have been most happy with, like it was a Pontiac Fiero. And I don't know why. It, maybe it's because it just sort of resembled like a budget version of like a Ferrari or something, you know? It's a cool it car. It had that little, it was a neat car. It yeah. had like the engine in the back, which was unique. It was not a, a feature that you would typically, it felt very exotic in that way. Uh, now I'll tell you a car that a couple years later that I would have been equally happy with would have been one of those probes, those Ford probes. Do you remember those? Yes. Those were fun little cars for sure. Uh, pieces of crap by all accounts that I've heard, but like that would have been an, a very fun little car. Yeah. Like, I know, like I'm not, it's not a BMW. It is still domestic. It's still, you know, whatever. But yeah, 1980 uh, Chevy Camaro totally not fits my personality. Like I love that scene where they're at the party. They're like, I wonder what car, you know, like that oh, yeah. she would have lost her virginity in or whatever. And they're like, <laughs> like Mercedes. And then they see that one girl who's just like a little dumpier than, yes. you know, she, it's so mean. They're just like a dump truck. Yes. <laughs> a garbage truck. Yeah. I'm I, like, I, you guys are losers too. You guys you are sitting are. in the corner. And by the way, she's being really social and having a good time and talking to people. Like, how dare you make fun of her, you pieces of crap? That's one of those, like, like entitled oh, pieces of shit, BMW. Get out of here. That's where that 2021 mindset starts to kind of bleed in a little bit. It's like, you can't be mean to people like that. It's like, you know what? When I was a kid, it was a no, shit. No, no, no. But kids. even back then in 1988, felt very mean. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and that's that's why, like, in one of the things I always love, and I think I've probably said it before, but, like, in Home Alone, when he says, buzz your girlfriend, woof. <laughs> they dressed a yes. boy up as a girl so that they weren't actually saying that about a girl. Uh, yes, exactly. I love that little piece of trivia. Did you did you learn that from the movies that made us or whatever? Uh, I think I, feel I, like I, I learned it, I that it, there. I knew it before then, but it's just because I've watched Home Alone four thousand times. And I know I don't know. That's a funny because it's being seen. But when he does go woof, yeah, <laughs> it like, always makes me laugh so hard. It's when I was like, if you were saying that about a real girl, that would really just yeah. be a shitty thing to say. Uh, it so would it be is awful like, for sure. It's one of those things that's funny because like, okay. Cause it's one of the things I think about like, uh, Corey Haim, like he was, you know, he, he clearly, he was one of those tiger beat kids. I mean, like all the girls went nuts oh, for yeah. him. So he had, a, oh, yeah. he had enough of a look that he was, he could be. He could fit in that quote unquote heartthrob. He, yeah, he had the sizzle. He had but the sizzle. At the same time, like in the movies he's in, he really does play kind of like a clueless loser a lot of times. Oh yeah, and it's just and you know, and that's that's a good way, like that's a good entry point for any of these kid movies, like teen movies in high school. Yeah, nobody wants to picture themselves as the jock. You know, like that's no yeah. fun for anybody. Like jocks are jocks aren't watching movies like this. People like us are watching movies like Yeah, the this. popular kids and the jocks, it's like, okay, you guys are all really shitty people. It's us it's the losers. We're we're the normal people. 
we're the ones that are yeah. just eking by like oh please just don't yeah, notice the people me. the people who are just sort of in the middle distance yeah. trying to make a name for themselves that's that's like 90 percent of the high school student everybody that's right just kind of like in that general collective like if you were a jock or you were you know it seems like all of those groups are always kind of like the most extreme of something like the nerds were always like they had a pocket protector big thick glasses oh calculated. for sure like, you don't have to dress like that that's the bully not mandatory. Is, they have like a bull haircut that looks like it hasn't been washed yeah. in a week. Like a bunch of, you know, the <laughs> the, the bad boys like, yeah, we're leather. And yeah, it's like, why? I've got a $300 haircut. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> this seems anachronistic. I don't feel like this is accurate to the kind of, if you're poor and that's why you're acting this way, how do you afford such Oh, yeah, if nice... you were like me and you were getting like super cuts and shopping at pennies, yeah. like <laughs> getting your clothes. I was like, where, where's the cheap just, t-shirt and the and the dungarees? Yeah. <laughs> where's where's that shit? How did you come right, by so a three hundred dollar leather jacket? No. So tell me tell me about your first car and tell me about what your ideal car would have been in, in, um, in this in the your situation and their situation. My first car was a Saturn SL one. So Very de- that's a sensible car. It was a cool <laughs> car. Yeah. It was a really, really just a cool, cool car that didn't have an actual name. It was the SL1. (laughs) The nice thing about the Saturns is they all kind of just seem to be like the same car. Yeah, it was was like, hey, different names. Here's a car. It's a thing. It moves. (laughs) It's like, oh, oh, well, I'm unique. I have this model, but from a distance, they all look the same. (laughs) It's like, oh, what what, is it? uh, is it a is it a Durango? Is it a is it a does it have a cool design? It's uh it's SL and then one. I don't think did I don't it have a did it have did it have functioning mm. like door handles though? Uh, it did it did have door handles? It did have door handles that See, worked. You're already one step up on me, dude. One step up. And by the way, I had a Camaro when it was years after it was cool to have. One. <laughs> years, <laughs> like so many years after. Uh, like I might as well be driving around in a mullet with wheels. Like I might as well. <laughs> my, I mean, and I don't want to. It was given to me, and I. It's you know I should be thankful. Uh, but I, you know, as, as you, I couldn't help but be a little disappointed. Like, did you? you couldn't you at least talk to me? <laughs> my my car uh, also would have worked if you were like a uh, like a mid level manager. At oh, at yeah. any at any company in the world, a and, TGI Fridays. And, yeah, like you're you're a you're you work in a just standard office, and they're like, hey, we need yeah. you to go to Kansas City for the week, and you fly there. <laughs> and like, we rented you a car. Ooh, what did you get me? It's a Saturn SL one. Okay, I mean, a Chrysler LeBaron would have been the only more like. I only um, see one LeBaron, Freddie. <laughs> I only well, see LeBarons one LeBaron. Were very- they're very popular back in that the day. That was that was the car that uh, Tom Green drove and Freddie got fingered. There you go. That's it's right. A great car. You know, one one scene that always plays out in my head, even though it's a mostly forgettable movie, was uh, Employee of the Month with um, Dane Cook, uh, Dak Dak Shepard, and Dane Cook. <laughs> he throws shit at his Honda Acura yes. or Accord or whatever it was. He's like, "How dare you? This is a Honda Accord." <laughs> Or like in The Simpsons when like Principal uh, Skinner's the H on his Honda got stolen. <laughs> yeah. 
He's like, how will people know it's a Honda? <laughs> but it's like it's like discolored where the H is. You can you, still yeah, you can tell. Still like, oh, that's just sad. <laughs> but to him, it was like a Jaguar or Rolls Royce. You know, like those those hood ornaments that yes. really mean something. He's like, how will people know it's a Honda? How, how will anyone know? <laughs> Oh shit, that's really funny. So, what what car would have you uh, dreamt dreamt of owning? Oh, like, if you only had owned this car, you would be the coolest kid ever. I don't I, like. I see. I was I was always one like what I what I really wanted. Like, I really wanted to drive around an Ecto One or like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles party <laughs> wagon. Like those. Like, you were so ahead of your time. I was like, this is the car that I want. Like, I want to want like a one of a kind. Like, yeah, I'm driving around an Ecto One. It wasn't like, uh, you know what I'd really like? The Saturn SL2. That would be no, it. No, Nick, Nick Wright, that is actually his dream car as an Ecto-1. Like, if he could get an Ecto, he'd totally drive it around like normal day I think day. if he could get one of those ambulances, he would build it into an Ecto-1. He could do it. He totally he, could. He definitely could do it. He and his dad could pull that off. Oh, absolutely. And it would be amazing. <clears throat> oh, man, it would be. He's already got all the other equipment. I mean, yeah. hell, all he needs, all he's missing is the Ecto one. He could like make a little. He could get a fire pole installed in his house. I mean, he's already he's like fifty percent of the way there to being a Ghostbuster. But you know, that's a cool, that's a fun thing to say now and mean it. But like back in the day, like just saying something like that would get you like, oh yeah, uninvited from every party. <laughs> You know, if you were like, oh, I would love Kit from Knight Rider. Like, like back yeah, in the day. Yeah, that's right. Like, it Mr. Not, Beanie's going to talk to you. It wasn't cool. It wasn't cool to wear your geekdom on your on your shirt. Like, it just was not. You would get clowned so much. What, what worked, Not want to live. What worked for me is I went to a small enough high school that it was mm-hmm. nearly impossible to really get yourself on the outs. My graduating class was 37. Oh my gosh! So it was it was kind of like you. I mean, you couldn't be a big enough loser for everybody. Like we're not talking to you. I was like, really? Gotcha. We're in all. No, we of need the same you. We need, our numbers are low. We need I was you. Like, yeah. <laughs> You're the funny guy. You're the school funny guy. Yeah. I, I mean, like I got. I I was elected to things. I didn't even realize I was in the running. Like when I when I was doing because I did the yearbook my junior and senior year of high school. And I was like, when did when did I get elected vice president of this club? I was like, I don't even I would not even in this club. And they're like, No, you got elected. I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> I didn't wow. even know that I was I that was a thing that I was doing. I was not attending this. This isn't like we 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 actually had to have another person we, run. We so needed we didn't we didn't think you would even win. We just sort of put your we name. We put in your the name. Hat it was your name. And crossed our fingers. And uh, literally a corn on the cob. Just a little picture of a corn on the cob, and somehow you, the the cob, the corn that was president. You I really like that policies of that corn on the cob, though. I don't know. Ah, he's real <laughs> make you think. You know, hmm. It's got some things that are going to challenge the status quo. It's bullshit that he didn't. He the, the election was stolen from that corn on the ah, cob. Twenty twenty four. I demand a recount. Okay, one two. <laughs> corn wins. <laughs> Oh man. Okay, cool. But yeah, I just I just was I thought that'd be a fun little exercise. Let's talk about our first car. All right. The only other scene that really uh features the dad is the end scene where he gets to do hit a lot of his some of his physical comedy bits, you know, yes. like he pulls the wrecked car into the driveway and he's like Whoa, you know, and like he's reacting to the 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 the, the, the horrors of the car like it's irreparable. 
Uh, and, you know, he's, again, heated, hot and heated, even though his wife's clearly going into labor right behind him. The yeah. kids, like the kids still in his pajamas. They got their little bag. This is a this is like a moment that he has been prepping for throughout the movie and weeks pr- leading up to when the movie starts. Like he's, he's the whole existence of this household is this moment and it just happens to coincide with less dragging his ass in in the morning you know he's run the bushes over <laughs> there's like glass broken on the ground from when he tried to take the light bulb out and yes. drop the shit i mean it's it's all from just from phase one to phase 20 of the plan is all gone wrong uh but he, he gets to drive to the hospital. He gets to prove himself. Like, cir- the way circumstances unfold, you know, he, 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 the wife, you know, like, Carol Kane's like, no, no, you have to sit with me. Which I, I think that was her way of saying, like, you know, we, we can't come into, this baby can't come into this house with you killing each other. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to, like, I'm going to say that I need you. I'm going to pull you into the back seat, and we're going to give our kid a chance to redeem himself and drive us to the hospital. It, which he does in the most spectacular fashion in reverse. <laughs> yes. It's the, and it, it is like, I th- like it's silly writing, but I did like how everything really does come together. Like it's because mm-hmm. he, he, you know, you just have this, you have this night that drags on and just perpetually gets worse. And that's, I mean, yes. pretty standard fare. I mean, that's a, a it comedy is. that's been played out it, a number of it's times. It's like a, it, it's like a, um, um, oh gosh, uh, who am I thinking of? Um, from Meet the Fockers. Oh, Ben um, Stiller. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes like I always just forget the most easy to remember names when we're podcasting. Yeah, you know, like his whole career is just it. It's like the bad things are happening to yes. a good person always. But that's that whole entire night. Like I'm not saying he's like a good person, but he is just a kid. And for you know, he's probably a good kid. Just all the mistakes are happening. But yeah, I was like he does. Hey. He gets that. Every twist and turn. excuse to redeem himself, right? Everywhere. Um, and his friends are there. And uh, his friends are good friends, too. Like, I mean, yeah, Dean and the other kid who really just, he's sort of just there. He's the third guy. They needed a third guy. Well, they, I feel like they felt like really authentic friends. The, the, thing, the thing about it is they were both hoodwinked because Les had lied to him. They were both under the impression yeah. that he still had his, that he had his license. Right. And that he had permission. And it to wasn't go until out. they were pulled over by the police that he reveals to them. Yeah, that he so does like uh, okay, because you know it's kind of one of those things like uh, well we're kind of screwed by association here, and mm-hmm. and you know and it's you, you get that because it's very similar to the Anthony Michael Hall where it's like he starts out the evening he's kind of this dork, but something good has happened to him. But then by the next morning he's like there's just this you know kind of resignation to it. it's like okay. This car is so incredibly totaled. I'm in so deep. It's like I almost can't even, like, I'm afraid of it, but I can't totally care because I'm just so screwed. And then right. the, the. Oh, the line where he says, I'm so dead, they're going to have to bury me twice, yeah. is a line that I repeat in my head a lot of times when I do something bad. That That's a great, great line. And the way that the camera kind of pulls in tight on him as the car, like, as the drunk steals the car yes and he's like oh my god and they're holding a, a passed out you know mercedes in their arms and there's just a smell of puke probably well no that that was later but so many bad things have happened and it's like oh my god i'm so dead they're going to bury me twice like that's the quote of the movie for me um and I, but i want to i want to circle back around to dean and the friends 
But but the point I was going to make about the dad is like I, it, it's just once again reiterating like he's he he quick to anger, and then they have that moment where he's like, man, last night must have been a wild night for you yeah. to drive like that to the hospital. And he does some remarkable stunts. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, like in this, like those are like people running from, like running out of the way. Like there's some good stunt driving. And uh, you know he he puts his arm around him, and he's like, "Don't worry about it." You know, like I, I just love that he. It's that loving sort of, you know, like I can't help. It, it feels so authentic. Like you you would of course get enraged that your kid would do something that irresponsible. But at the end of the day, you look at them and you look at you see yourself in them and you're just you're just can't help but want to comfort them and let them know that things are going to be OK, even though, you know, that there's going to be a heavy price to pay. Um, I just that's the reason why I picked him for this movie is the rad dad. Like, I, I just dig that so much at the end. And I also like at the end when the dad comes when his grandpa comes to pick the car up. Yes. And he he answers the door and he's like, "Less, less, less did it, less." I, I love you that. See that fear in his eye, that love that's so authentic. It's, it's because it's it's that poetic, like the whole thing, that whole ending part is such great poetic justice, to where it's like, okay, <laughs> he goes from being the dad who's in charge to he's the kid to in the trouble. The kid now. who's in trouble. Yeah. And it, yes. I mean, it, it's 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 one of it's like it's that it's that great eighties trope, and yeah. it just works out so well, and it's. I, I, but it's a trope because it works yeah, so well. It does. Like, it's so relatable. It's so relatable. Uh, but but the the last thing I really wanted to focus on it. Did did you want to add on to any of that? The, like for the, that last scene. The only other thing is I absolutely love that the movie ends with them playing um, Billy Ocean. That's <laughs> like that's yeah. the, that's the cherry I, on top. I don't need me. a BMW. I've got a Mercedes. Get out of yeah, my. Yeah, I'm that, like that was such a big hit when, right at that moment when Billy Ocean plays because. <laughs> I, I had a revelation. I don't know. It's, it's been within the last year or so because it's fun, like my and I think I mentioned this before. My dad has a my dad has a, a pretty decent, not huge, but pretty decent collection of records from when he was you know, like in his teens and 20s. Yeah. <clears throat> Leading up to like when he got married and, you know, got a job and started having kids. And, you know, when music kind of freezes in time for you. But like, yeah, exactly. I, I didn't, I didn't think about it until later in life, and it really was like in the last couple of years. But like, we had a pretty sizable collection of cassette tapes, and like, my mom would buy music. Like, she had, I mean, she liked Michael Jackson, she liked Madonna. I mean, pretty standard stuff. Like, we would listen to that. Mm-hmm. But it was like we had, we would have these really like we had a Billy Ocean tape. And, yeah, and I was just like, it hit me one day. It's like, whose tape was that? Was that my mom's tape or my like? Why did we have the Billy Ocean tape? We had a Lionel Richie tape, and I'm like, it was the family's tape because <laughs> Billy Ocean can appeal to any sex, age, generation. I'm like, you know, when, when that's like Steve was Winwood. Who buys a Steve Winwood tape? Like, you know, like, <laughs> I'm like sitting here. I was like, it's when just this, there. When this tape was at its height, I was five, and. Alexa, stop. <laughs> Alexa, stop. There's some What's editing. <laughs> like all of a sudden, she just nope, starts playing some nope, jazz. No, you got to leave that in. Whatever the hell that was, that has to stay. Alexa Please started playing some that. jazz music for me. I would have loved if she would have played Alexa, Billy Ocean. Alexa, play Billy Ocean. Stop it. Alexa, stop it. Alexa, play porn. Alexa, stop. <laughs> Oh my God! Please, good Lord! 
<laughs> with Billy Ocean. That was my ever. point. Billy Ocean, I'm done. That's, that's what Billy Ocean does for you. Good, good one. Good one. Uh, but yeah, I was just going to talk about like the concept of the friend who rolls with your um, situation. Yeah. Um, Corey Feldman is the perfect character actor for that. Role. Oh, absolutely. Like, he's, you know, because like he is, he, his whole goal is to get to Archie's Atomic and he will stop at nothing to get to Archie's Atomic. But he's, he won't, he, it's not like he would hurt someone to get there. Like he, you know, he sees that his friend is in trouble. They roll it back to his house. I love these. Like, don't worry about my. I love Corey Feldman. We haven't talked about his voice at all. I love his voice. His voice is fantastic. It is, it is top five greatest voice of a human being yeah. <laughs> ever. That gravelly, cool, like, uh, sort of adopted surfer. Yes, like, you know, sound that like anybody had, even if you lived in like Iowa or Idaho or. New Jersey or California. It didn't matter. Like you, you were talking like that and he never lost that voice. And even as a little kid, he kind of had a little scratchiness to his yeah. voice. Very cute. Very awesome. Very distinctive. But he's like, don't worry about my old man. He sleeps like a, a vampire or whatever. And he's yes. just banging on the hood of this Cadillac with the, with the rubber mallet hand, <laughs> just going to town. Good and as then, new. But they're there for him. I like the broiness of the three friends. Like that, that was a really cool touch to the movie, and a, you know, and it's not unique to this movie. A lot of these movies in high school have that sort of dynamic. You think about super bad movies like that, yeah. <clears throat> but but with super bad, like um, the 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 Seth character is really an asshole. Oh yeah, <laughs> and he really is willing. He he'll do whatever it takes to get what he wants, which is to to get you know, the girl drunk that he likes. Yeah. Like his whole line of reasoning and logic is horrible. Absolutely. But, but Feldman, he, he's there for his friend, you know, like he, he will go along with you, you know, like it's, it's ride or die with Corey Feldman. And, uh, <clears throat> I, I just really dig, you know, those, those types of friends in life. You know, like I had a friend like that. He was, he's not the friend that you ever planned to be around for a long time. Like there's something dangerous about being this person's friend. Yes. But you know, even though, you know, it's, it's like the, the, the Chris Chambers and, and stand by me. Like it's, it's the, that kind of person. You're like, there's something not accepted by society about this person. But when it, when the shit hits the fan, they're there for you. And I, I really dig him in this role. And I, I, I miss these types of roles for Corey Feldman. And he was just inevitably going to grow out of them. I guess you can't be the gravelly surfer dude in your forties. You just can't do it. It's not, you know, some, some actors can get on with their like unique voices. Like a, like a, who, who's a, who's a person who's just got that unique voice, like a Ray Romano or a, yeah or a, or a, who, who's like the hot pocket guy, you know, like you, th- those guys just have their careers based on a unique sort of voice and delivery. But Feldman's, you know, just whatever reason, it just didn't translate to the, to the, to the nineties and beyond. And, you know, was, here we are full circle again, just like lamenting over like what could have been of his career. But we had it. We had it for like 10 years and I love it. And, uh, you know, they, who knows, they may do a Goonies too. They've been talking about it. If so, he's attached. Uh, let, let's get Sean Austin and, and Corey Feldman and um, the kid who played Data and all, all those people. Let's get them back. Make a Goonies too and make it happen. But I, I guess that's that's all I have to say about the movie. I just, I just didn't want to I didn't want to like gloss over the friends because I you know I 
because they are the fun of the movie. Like I, the the theme works out with with the dad, and I do enjoy his interactions a lot. But it's the friends that's the heart of the movie. Yeah, and uh, the the way that they sort of handle all of the horrible things that are happening to them in a very you know eighties way. And that's why I picked this movie. You know me, dude. I'm I'm a sucker for the eighties. Oh, absolutely. Loud, it seems like. And uh, but that that's it. And really, I mean, like when you think about when you think about the Corys, I think this really is the quintessential Corys movie. Um. Yeah. I for me it is. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know where you stand on Lost Boys. Like, I know it's like a favorite for a lot of people. I don't love it. Love it. Love it. It's it's good, but. If I'm in the mood for a Corey's movie, 100%, I'm putting in License to Drive. The that the, the thing about Lost Boys is... It's a Joel Schumacher movie. Like, you just got to be in the mood for a yeah. Joel Schumacher movie. And, it, and, and yeah, I, I mean, there's... I mean, I've, I of the vampire movies that exist in perpetuity, it's... I mean, it's... I mean, I own it. I enjoy it. It's a... I mean, it's, it's a, a fun movie. It's yeah. a decent movie. But it's when I was like... The there's also part of it as like a vampire movie to me is kind of a niche thing. Like License mm-hmm. to Drive is just kind of a standard comedy. It's like this is it's it's the it's kind of mainstream enough. It's like it's not like vanilla. Like it's like oh it's just kind of, it's whatever. But it's it's, it's more one of the most accessible comedies starring teens I've yeah. ever seen. And it's, it, it holds up crazy good. It's it's definitely I mean like you know it's the most relatable I think. Uh, between the two of them yeah. where it's like, okay, I mean, the- whether you're a, I don't know if it's like a boy thing primarily, but I think even as a, maybe as a girl, even like it doesn't matter what sex you are getting that driver's license is huge. Yeah, It's just like a major milestone in your life. And you put a lot of pressure on it as teenagers just tend to do on everything. And I think this movie captures that. Yeah. Perfectly. Just perfectly. And I, I could show this to a person in 2050 and it just, it'll still, it'll translate. Totally. The clothes and the styles and the music and the cars will look crazy. But, I mean, the idea of it is going to be one, the same. 100%. Yeah, that's totally timeless. And, you know, you got to really appreciate a movie like that that you can just pop in. Like, I'll, I'll for sure watch this movie again a bunch more times in my life. Yeah. Uh, some, sometimes, like, I'll think of a movie in nostalgia's sake and I'll buy it because I don't own it in the current format that we own, you know? Yeah, or, or in in the moment, and I'll watch it, and I'm like, yeah, that that really was just sort of a relic in its time, and I don't I don't regret buying it. I never regret buying a movie for the most part, but yeah, because it's just as collection diversifies my movie portfolio. But you know, this is a movie that when I bought it, I was very happy to own it in the current format because I could get bored and turn this on and just watch it in the background, and it would yeah, be absolutely you know it's like a sitcom of a movie, like it's just perfect. It's a perfect length, perfect everything. There's no, nothing drags in this movie, ever. And at the end, you're always so, going to get Billy Ocean. And at the end, you're going to get Billy Ocean. It's a very snappy ending. Okay, um, so that was my pick for the Rad Dads. Um, as teased earlier, you have your pick in mind, so you know we're, we're not going to do the four. Like Our, our release schedule is probably going to be a little weird. Like We're not following a theme. Like We have some things lined up. Some fun movies that you all are going to definitely enjoy. Yeah, I'm sure of it. Uh, with some guests, we've got some special guests. Well, you know, other cinemasters, not like celebrities or anything. Calm down, don't get. Too we've excited. got Billy Ocean. 
<laughs> we've got. Would that be awesome? If we had Billy. I would. If we could get Billy Holy Ocean, shit. I should look into that. I might try. I'm going to try and get Billy Ocean. I mean, why not? Like, hey, Billy, let's let's shoot for the stars. What are you? What are you? <laughs> what are you doing? You want to be on a podcast? We we almost had the dude from Clerks. We did. Like <laughs> we had him. He agreed. <laughs> I, and and for some reason he just backed out. But I don't know what. Maybe he listened to our like, show. Uh, I've got some enemies. No, in but Vietnam. he seemed like a really good dude. Like I might have to reach out to him again sometime. And be like, hey man, it does. It uh, makes me. I know that you're you're sick and tired of talking about Clarks and Kevin Smith. I'm sure, but we just need to have you on the show. Do we should, yeah, we like, need. We'll Rick. talk about your movie. We talk need about Rick the movie you're making. Oh, well, absolutely. We'll we'll feature your movie. I don't care. Everyone in Vietnam will watch it. Locked, locked. It'll be a sensation in be Vietnam. Huge. You got, you, how's your How's your demographic in Vietnam? Be honest. It's like we can hook you up, man. Because <laughs> we'll make it pop. We'll make it pop. Oh man. Oh Jesus. But anyways, that's just fair warning. Like our theme thing that we do is it's going to be a little weird and iffy. But we got some fun shows. We got upcoming. some irons in the fire, uh, as they say. We do. We got some irons in the fire. Way to, way to put that. Thank you very much. But what what's your rad dad pick? That because we're we're definitely going to do two rad dad movies. Yes. So my what's your rad my dad rad dad's pick? pick is going to be uh, the Robin Williams, Steven Spielberg classic retelling of Peter Pan uh, mm. known as Hook. Hmm. All right. Uh, that That is for sure probably streaming in some places, so I may not have to buy it. But if I do, that's cool. I feel that, I'm, that I'm is a, almost positive it's on Netflix. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to re-watching that. I don't think I've watched it beginning to end in some time. You honestly, you could have gone in a lot of Robin Williams movies. Oh for yeah, Rad Dad. I mean, he he always plays like just the huge heart. You could go Mrs. Doubtfire in a heartbeat for sure. Yes, uh, but I'm glad you didn't go Mrs. Doubtfire because that seems like such a cliche pick. Honestly, I could have gone with Jack and really bummed oh, everyone God. out that, a lot. Oh man, thank you for not that movie. Seemed like a really good idea and fun. Until you watched it, and you're like, ugh. Hey, at like, the what? end, what if he dies? <laughs> he's been in a lot of, he's been in a, way too many movies that make me want to, like, Jonathan Brandis hit. <laughs> yeah, you're like, what? <laughs> Which sucks, because he did go out. Don't do Jonathan it. Jonathan Brandis, he, sorry. Don't Brandis. Uh, you shouldn't do it. Talk Hashtag to us. Call too. us. I'm going to put both of our numbers. Yes. I'm going to list them both. Personal cell phone numbers up on a, the internet. Mm-hmm. Call us any hour of the, the day. The hotlines are, it'll they'll be open night or day. Give us a call. I don't sleep. It. There's so many good Marvel movies. I mean, that alone is worth, you know, not doing it. Yes. <laughs> so much stuff happening. It's a good time to be alive. It We're is. We're through the pandemic. Movies We're on are, the other movies side are of it. coming out. You can go see them. Yeah. And not for nothing. Like we, I was talking before this uh, episode, like we, I, I want to start doing like a, maybe once a month episode where we just get on and just talk about what's happening with movies again. Now that things are starting to open back now up. Now that there so. are movies. I don't know what that's going to look like. I've got some ideas um, that you know I've run past you. I don't, you you haven't really agreed to any of them yet. That tells me they're probably not. I agree to all of them right now, <laughs> unequivocally. <laughs> all right, but but next time for the next episode, look forward to uh, Hook. I guess yes. Or that's going to be the next Rad Dad. Hook will who, be the next Rad Dad order. Yeah, Hook will be the next Rad Dad. I'm not sure which episode will be next. Probably exactly. sometime in June. Hopefully. Um. Well, you know what? Can we go ahead and reveal um, the movies? Since we're not, we might as well reveal a couple. Here, let's go ahead and reveal the next three movies. I can confidently say we know the next three episodes. The next three episodes. Titillate. 
Here, here's what you get to look forward to in the upcoming weeks, months, years, <laughs> depending on how often. Sometime, how probably this decade. We got the newly sexified Matt Mercer, who has told us that he wants to do Masters of the Universe. Yes. So you got that to look forward to. The the classic Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren. Franklin. Uh, and then uh, we have another uh, White Machete episode. She She is going to do... Uh, Red Sonia. So that, that was going to be her, like, May, does it, maybe it holds up well, <laughs> maybe it doesn't. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Might. We don't know yet. Yeah, so so for the next for the next three episodes or so, you can look forward to Red Sonia with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Masters of the Universe with Dolph Lundgren, and Hook with the late, great Robin Williams. Yes. And with that... Oh wait, that's not our playout music. Hang on, Billy Ocean. What's where's our, where's our play? Hold on, hold on, hold on. This is this is what we're playing out on. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit. There we go. There we go. Hey, hey, you, you. <laughs> get into my car. That is the so, end this podcast. For this episode of the car. Cinemasters of the Universe podcast, I have been one of your hosts, Ronnie. Lewis. I have been Adam Peterson. Still here. Let's sing along. <laughs> you know, you know, you know the words. <laughs> That's a great song.